Gaming History 101. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Gaming History 101, the Retro Video Games Podcast. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Fred Rojas, and joining me from a train going all across Europe, I've been watching Harry Potter. Apparently, it's a big popular thing y'all do, is my brother from across the pond, Mr. Jamalais. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> I'm doing good. So, fun fact, actually, on Harry Potter is I used, when I used to um, work in London, I used to commute to King's Cross Station where they have... What was it called? Platform three and three quarters. My Harry Potter law is terrible. I should say. Oh, <laughs> nice! They have that platform. Huh? Where's yeah. Diagon Alley? Is that hanging out somewhere in London? Well, like when I when I tried to run through that wall, I just you know got a concussion as you do. Oh, so. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so welcome. And the reason I bring that up is because today's show is all about Harry Potter games. No, no, we would not <laughs> do that you to you. <laughs> Take a while to research. <laughs> I have wanted to go back and uh, play the Deathly Hollows game on 360, yeah. which was like Gears of Harry Potter. Gears of Harry Potter, um, yeah. So I remember that at E3 2010 when I was there. They were that was a huge thing. Like EA or no, it was Warner was pushing, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" But anyway, no, no. Today's episode is actually about something a little smaller and a little more magical that is turning 30 this year. 30 years old. What am I talking about, Jam? It is the Game Boy. Yes, Nintendo's little dot matrix LCD screen. So, uh, figured we'd talk about it. Yes, I'm well aware Jeremy Parrish is covering everything ad nauseum for those of you who follow the Retro Circles. But you know what Jeremy Parrish doesn't have? Him and Jam... Er, yeah, he doesn't have his own perspective. No, Jam and Mai's perspective on the Game Boy. And I think... I think that's what will be of a crucial difference in value. Um, also, we're not going to go, so to speak, uh, as in-depth as he does with each and every game. Although, uh, I, I see a future where, uh, in this episode, we talk pretty heavily on various games. Um, but the other thing is, Jam and I, you know, we, I was kind of talking to him about it, um, we love the whole fact thing, but uh, I think one of the things that burned us out was every issue, episode of Gaming History 101 was surrounded with 10 hours of uh, research online that only would then be used against us as questioning and ha-has and you're wrongs and here's this little detail I know, which I'd criticize that if I wasn't so much like it. <laughs> <laughs> So we will have plenty of um, details in this episode, but I think moving forward, if you're feeling okay with this, Jam, we should uh, contextualize. I think that's what we can add is context as to where the industry was, uh, where the, the world was. This is one thing we can definitely offer over Retronauts on a grand scale is that we can largely speak to both the European and the North American influence at the time um, and, uh, of course, give our stories. So. Mm-hmm. That's the important part. Yeah. So, um, but I think before we talk about the Game Boy itself, which came out in 1989, and we'll we'll get to that, um, uh, we should probably talk about leading into the Game Boy and kind of where the world was at. 
So, mm-hmm. um, so in 1989, uh, from a home console perspective, so I think it should be pointed out that portables weren't the rage, although we'll be talking in a minute about portable options that were definitely there. It would, would you agree that at least, well, I don't know, at least in America, it would be a lie to say that kids didn't have portable ways to play video games. And we kind of took whatever we could get yeah, in that time absolutely. period. Yes, that was definitely um, the case over here. Okay, so real quick to contextualize though. So in 1989, Nintendo is at its peak apex in this country. In America, it's doing gangbusters. Nintendo is actually synonymous in America Mm. with video games. My grandmother called it in 1989, the Nintendo. And she could be referring to any console in the house, although as many were probably quick to point out, there weren't many. Um, So in my house... Yeah, the Nintendo was in full effect. Let's see, 1989, uh, early, let's say early 89, spring, summer 89, um, sitting on my shelf. Uh, and and you, can, you can give your perspective when you talk about what's over across the pond. But sitting on my shelf would be Super Mario Brothers 2, Legend of Zelda 2, uh, both unabashedly shamed by me. Um, I would rent Castlevania to see that it's nothing like the original Castlevania and go, oh, fuck you, <laughs> and never touch it. I still want to go back to Castlevania 2 because I have never really touched it. I know the jokes like the graveyard duck and things like that, but uh, but yeah, like I've really never given Castlevania 2 its, its, its due. Um, and since Rondo uh, takes place early on, uh, stages take place in the town that's burned down in Castlevania 2. Um, I, I, I really think it's worthwhile. Um, let's see, uh, Mega Man 2, big one that mm-hmm. year, I believe. Uh, my buddy Mike, uh, I was living in condos in Vernon Hills, Illinois, and my buddy Mike, who lived across the hall from me, his parents kind of got him everything. He's the one who got a Sega CD before me, a Genesis before me, all that stuff. Um, he would get Mega Man 2, and I think it was in the summer, honestly. I think we were on summer break from school. Um, and, uh, I want to say we were second, third grade ish. I could do the math, but uh, I won't. Um, and I remember Mega Man 2 being everything we wanted it to be. That was fucking awesome playing that game when it first came out. I got to say, um, but that's kind of what's going on. So I even have like choice franchises at that time. I also want to say 88, 89 was around when I played the NES version of Double Dragon 2, which, hands down, is the best way to experience Double Dragon 2. The arcade is way too long in the tooth, and everything tried to capture the ports, but the NES port of Double Dragon 2 is is amazing. It really is, if you like that kind of thing. Um, anyway, the Master System, I think, was... It was out, but I think it was dying, to be honest. Uh, mm. In fact... In fact, I think at this time the Master System was on clearance in Toys R Us, and sometime this year a kiosk would appear with a a little game called Altered Beast and also Mm -hmm. a a Golden Axe running on uh, a television in the Toys R Us and blowing your mind with the $199.99 Sega Genesis. Um, and, uh, And to be clear, it wasn't a demo unit. I think it was just a fake plastic picture or like a model of a genesis it was just like a shell and they just had a video that played (laughs) (laughs) yep but uh anyway uh and then microcomputers really didn't exist too too much around here i did have the commodore 64 still 
set up and occasionally I would get a game on tape or program something out of a magazine in basic. Um, but the Commodore 64 really just did not, not, not much exist in my, in my universe anymore. Um, I, I had gone past kids on keys and jump man and there wasn't much else to see. Um, at least from an American standpoint. So why don't you tell me about your 80, late 88, early 89? Um, because for you guys, well, actually you guys would get the Game Boy in the fall yeah, it's either the year later, I believe. It'll be 1990, well, you, I think. So. Did you guys really get it in 90? Holy shit, I must have missed that. Hold on. You yeah, did. It's, it's, it's I'm away, sorry. So. Okay, so <laughs> let's just talk about it real quick. The release date in Japan was April 21st, 89. We got it July 31st, 89, which to most that would just be summer. You'd start seeing it trickle into stores. Um, mm. Most people would get it for Christmas that year anyway. Um, and then September 28th, 1990 was when you yep. guys got it. <laughs> Because you know, Nintendo loved Europe back then. So. <laughs> clearly, clearly, so much so that they gave a, a strenuous year and a quarter of pamper work before they felt comfortable fit to set it out upon the world. Well, you know the PAL standard on portables. Uh, but anyway, so what's going what's going on in nineteen in nineteen ninety? I won't talk about it, but that Genesis was already out now. But uh, yeah, yeah. what was uh, what was going on in 1990 in your neck of the woods? Come summer, early fall, back to school time, uh, 1990. I could be wrong, but I, I think um, we had the Mega Drive at this point, really. Um, so I could, I I'm just did. double checking actually, but yeah, because it sounds like because yeah, we got we we at least did. for me, I had the Game Boy. Uh, not for me personally, it was like you know, like a family shared system. Yeah, it was September as well for the Mega Drive for this for us as well. So, okay, so they released almost co-currently, really. About the same. Nintendo must era. have set that up with Sega. You know, is weird synergy. No, um, mm. that's interesting that Nintendo would directly compete with the portable Genesis console would directly <laughs> compete with the the home console in Europe. That's interesting mm. as hell. So, so for context for where I was at this point is uh, the NES wasn't as big where I was, of course, because it's um, it was at least again from obviously experience through this show of other people that live in the UK. Some people say otherwise that the Nintendo was big for them, but where I was, it wasn't big at all. It was uh, it was all about microcomputers at this particular era. So mm. you were either a ZX Spectrum kid, you're either a um, Commodore 64 kid if you're rich, and um, you <laughs> and if you were uh, and if your parents didn't really. Well, no, I don't want to say that's a bit cruel of saying that, but I think if your parents uh, wanted something simple, you got the Amstrad, which is what we had. So that's oh, cool. The, uh, when I say that, yeah, for the, context, the home that, game gear. Uh, <laughs> I think so. I think I've said this before. Is the the Amstrad was appealing to some parents or particularly adults because it came with both monitor and keyboard. It came with everything basically. It's an all-in-one package. Whereas the ZX Spectrum and Commodore 64 didn't do that. You brought those bits separately, so you had to buy the you know the unit and then you had to buy the TV separately and the tape deck. All that sort of stuff had to come separately. So whereas if you were obviously a bit like today about like consoles and PC, you know, but people just want to get a Xbox and connect it to TV. Um, that's what people were like with the Amstrad. So thinking, it was like a comprehensive unit as opposed to the modular setup that I guess the other ones would have? Yeah, basically. Okay. So and then, so you can see from, depending on what sort of frame of my drive, if you don't want to deal with the hassle with all these bits and bobs, uh, then yeah, the Amstrad was very, and it, and it sold relatively well because of that reason. Mm. Um, so that's what we had. So I was, we were, we were rocking the Amstrad at this point. Um, yeah. You know, I, we, like I said, I think, I think we kind of got the, the Mega Drive and, like, and the Game Boy almost 
it's probably probably the same year i'm guessing really because they seem to kind of both appear at the same time in my right. family um but yeah but that's where that's where we're so i don't know now, I'm, you had yeah, an older I'll, brother so did, was it a, a, a banner christmas where jam got the game boy and your brother <laughs> got the mega drive and it the whole household upgraded in one year <laughs> well the mega drive was a like a work-related gift for my, my, my dad who was working oh, um okay. I, I, I can't remember what it was that he was doing something through work and he got the mega drive through that which is a common practice for some parent uh, in the back in those eras where there was some business related uh, combination so that's a family oh we anyway. know we all have those friends whose uncle worked for nintendo <laughs> exactly <so. laughs> <laughs> yeah. um but the you yeah, know the the game boy was the present for my oldest brother mm. um for he was born in december so it would have been you know but it, it was timed a bit well actually so he got fucked on the like me every year where they would merge your game your birthday and christmas together and then you just get one gift but it was good for gamers because you could hybrid it into one expensive gift Mm. (laughs) that was always how i wrote it but you didn't need (laughs) to for the game boy right game boy wasn't expensive i don't think even in europe no it wasn't i don't believe so i I, again i i I think i think it was it was definitely under under 100 pounds as far as i'm aware um i think that was the magical number nintendo was always gearing to be underneath um Mm. so the yeah, but the, the so, but we, when when the, this is the funny thing is that I talked about obviously how the NES wasn't big and even the Super Nintendo wasn't big for my era, but the Game Boy, however, was pretty big actually. It was massive in in the UK despite Nintendo hating Europe <laughs> at the time. So, well, cool. And real quick, I do want to touch on something, and then I wanted to jump into what we had before the Game Boy, but. Um, uh, also should be noted, I don't think we touch on this much sometimes, is arcades are still hitting gangbusters, oh, yeah. at least yeah. in America. You walk into a pizza shop, Final Fight's there, Ninja Turtles, uh, Konami's Brawlers are there. There was probably a pole position or two still hanging out. Everybody loved a racing game. But by this time, Sega's better scalar graphics games would be sitting around. Uh, plenty of Sega 16 stuff. Um we're getting near the fighting game genre, but it won't quite hit yet. Um, but it's important to note that the world of arcades was moving away from single screen and score based and racing based stuff and into uh, more narrative campaign based hour long storyline quarter drinking titles uh, to a large extent. Um, we're we're like baby stepping to the brawler or from to the fighter. Uh, from the brawler um but anyway um so so that's kind of what's going on in in video games i still think on if i were to say on nes the platformer still kind of reigns supreme on that console Uh, i'd say that was still Mm. your prominent right it was like you know every era had just a genre that just dominated i would say the the action platformer probably was still dominating at this time um Somewhere in here is Contra also, I think, or Probotech or Tector. I might be getting Super C at this point. But again, well, I think what's most important from Nintendo's standpoint, the NES specifically, and where this will become relevant to the Game Boy, is 
NES is so solidified. Now you start to see licensed games, bad licensed games, good licensed games. You have Friday the 13th, which only in hindsight is a good game. And you have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which actually hits in 1989, um, which again was not what we were looking for. People did not go for it on the NES. Um, But you also have, as I'm proving, established franchises you're looking for sequels for, right? Mario is a household name. Um, Yep. We yeah so so there's that going on. The Wizard will release that Christmas, and we will be looking forward to Mario Three. Yes, uh, aka the commercial, Nintendo's best commercial, um, or what was it? The Nintendo's 1989 press conference. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and and that's significant when we get to the Game Boy because of a lot of the decisions and franchises that will make their way over there, and kind of have an embedded audience. Um. But we uh, we were, at least in America, still obsessed with portable gaming. And it was probably, uh, there was a desperate need for it because there weren't the greatest experiences. Um, starting first and foremost, I think, of the Game & Watch series, which was Nintendo's d- own uh, idea. but uh, And these looked like Nintendo DSs, if you've never seen them. They were often two-screen um, experiences and they had everything from like Cement Factory to um, Donkey Kong to uh, I think there was Donkey Kong Jr. Um, and possibly even a couple others. I think there was even was a Mario Zelda? Brothers one. Huh? There was a Zelda one. I could be wrong about that. There was right? a watch version of Zelda. I don't oh, remember right, yeah. if there was a game and watch version of Zelda. So yeah. So it would start with these LCD games. They had the it wasn't a D-pad. It was just an up, down, left, right button and then usually a single action button. Sometimes there were two, but I don't recall there being two too often. Um, but I wasn't a big game and watch player and I'm not a collector of those. So I don't know too, too much about them. I know I had cement factory. Um, and what I remember jam was they started releasing the Nintendo watches and they had like super Mario brothers and legend of Zelda. And I think Castlevania, but I could be wrong. Cause I might be thinking of the tiger Electronics stuff, which we'll get to. Um, but these were watches that you would seemingly wear to school, but the joke was you could take them off and play these video games. And they were just small LCD versions of them. Um, but that was like a, a true watch. It wasn't part of the Game & Watch. That's not what Game & Watch stood for. Game & Watch was more like game and people can watch you. Um, but they took it literal and called them Nintendo watches. Uh but that was kind of what Nintendo had. And so they were always embedded in this idea of the LCD, right? The, the LCD being just a dot matrix display, um, black and white, uh, two hues, that's it, and low resolution and just putting something together that blipped and blopped and booped and beeped and it was fun. Um, and then beyond that, the other thing that was going on was the Tiger Electronics stuff, which was kind of all at the same time. These were all like mid to late 80s. Um, mm. And oftentimes those would take all kinds of franchises, some of which were popular on the NES and some of which were just their own things like licenses. And uh, I mean, there's a myriad of them. If you keep looking, the earliest one I remember, and I don't think it was Tiger, but it might have been, was Baseball. Believe it or not, it was one of my favorite um, uh-huh. games um was baseball and you would you would just have a, a bat and a run button and you would just try to bat a ball and then just try to score more points than the computer and i don't think you even pitched or anything i think you just ran and from there football came and there was a soccer one and things like that 
Um, sorry, American football and then regular football as you know it in your neck of the woods. Um, and then there were just a ton of the Tiger ones. I remember Double Dragon. I remember Magician Lord. I remember Castlevania Two. I remember TMNT one somewhere. TMNT. Those were the weird ones that were done by Konami. If you remember, oh, that yeah, one was yeah. green and like looked kind of like it was out of a Star Trek episode. They had one that was like that called Top Gun. That was obviously a license of Top Gun, um, which was dominating in the in the cinemas uh, in the mid eighties. Um, but these things were all together. And I think from my perspective, and then I'm going to give you your chance. Uh, sorry if I've, I've dominated the early part of this. Um, from my perspective, they were all kind of equal parts. Terrible baseball was really good, but tigers electronics games were never what you wanted, but what could they do? Right? Like I never remembered what they could do. And I remember talking, they were 20 bucks. So they were kind of throwaway. You could save up a couple weeks allowance, or at least for me, you could. Um, or if you had a part-time job or, or if you were a teenager, it would be no sweat to grab these things. They drank batteries. Um, actually, maybe the battery lasted pretty long. I can't remember now. They came with batteries though. But they were like 20 bucks. You could knock them out. You get them as a stocking stuffer. And I remember talking to my friends and right, you would play them. There was no way to play them in advance. There were no reviews or anything. So you would play them and you'd be like, hey, you know, this one, this game you've never, this, 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 uh, this, this Double Dragon 2 version. It's all right. It's not bad. It's all right. <laughs> ever beaten it? No, nah, fuck no, I've never beaten it. But, but yeah, how do you beat it? I don't know. Uh, so yeah. But that was kind of what it was up to this point. But it was like, you kind of tolerate it because it was the best you could do. Like, there was nothing else out there. Mm. The TI series calculators weren't out yet. (laughs) So, um, for you, though, what was it like out in Europe with this stuff? So, we we had Tiger Electronics as well, but we also had another company that had a because i had one of these when i was younger um i'm just trying to look up the name of it i think it was so you might have heard of a company called tomi which i believe Mm -hmm. is japanese um they did kind of like these electronic they weren't really necessarily portables and the the, the easiest way to describe these is they um they look like those really super miniaturized stand-up arcade things you see nowadays in some GameStop stores or game stores. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 we had these too. In fact, if anybody wants to know where to visually see them, the part I remember was in Gremlins, the original Gremlins. Mm. There is a scene where uh, right after um, Gizmo multiplies the first time after they spill water on him, there's a scene of all the the Mogwai psychotically playing a Pac-Man version of this. Yeah, mm, mm. and I, I had one um, when I was younger, which is called like Caveman, I think, or something. And it's it's really it's it's freaking brilliant. This game, obviously, it's just Fantastic. like everything we've described, where it's this sort of it's almost like a it's not um like the lcd stuff because it looks more like a calculator in a sense that sort of graphics you know that it probably is probably the same to be honest but mm-hmm. um but it's basically you are this little caveman and then there's a it's a, there's a dinosaur at one end and you've got to go nick the dinosaur's eggs and then take them back to your base <laughs> and that's about <laughs> it that's all the game is really but it's what i loved about it is it has these freaking hilariously cutesy graphics that if you die because there's obviously stuff like raining down from the sky as well as like there's like meteorites <laughs> coming down and um but if you get if you get hit by the dinosaur or if you get hit by the um meteorites you, you have this little graphic of this your little caveman with a blooded head and i was like wow that's like early like early gore right there <laughs> so hell yeah uh, but yeah it was I lcd played... nobody nobody knew mm. 
I I play that quite a lot. That was probably that might have been our first um, like hat and held. It was, I wouldn't have said this. This is not something I would have taken on the go with me at all. It took those hulking great. I think it was the D batteries. It took you had to put like six or four of six in, into them. So it's, wow. It's, it's, although they did last a long time though i'll give it that um i still God, i would it. hope so you're powering a small city on those things um, <laughs> exactly i still have that somewhere i've kept it i've got i think it's in i've put it in, in my in my garage store stored somewhere if i need trying to get out um so that's that's making me nostalgic now much to rescue nice. my, my parents attic one day um but yeah, that that was one of that was probably our earliest thing, and I think I was probably I think my brothers just ignored that game. I think I was one of the few people that played it. You could tell it got had a score counter though, so you could kind of you know right. It was competitive. It was competitive. Yeah. No online leaderboards, but you know. I put it on a notepad. There you like, go. Yeah. <laughs> See offline leaderboards. Jam Jam was before his time. Um, yeah. But uh, we should also point out, uh, I know early on, um, I've got a article about it called Gaming To Go, if you want to kind of look into what portables were doing at around this time. These are early features I did on Gaming History 101 that are long since lost to the blog. Um, but uh, there was uh, Milton Bradley's Microvision, which was actually a early 80s, late 70s device. 16 by 16 LCD screen, believe it or not, using a, T- a Texas Instruments processor. Mm. Um, and I believe AZ uh, in, in our chats, in our Discord, uh, Eric, um, I believe he's wanted to sit down with me and talk about that one. So um, our decision to do the Game Boy was kind of off the cuff over the last couple of days. But uh, but yeah, at some point I'll sit down with him and hopefully we can do like an, an extra credit or a, a little episode where you talk about that because he's got a lot of insight on that. I think it was the, micro, or the, the macro vision he had. If not, sorry, and we'll be talking about something similar. But uh, anyway, um, but desperately we could use a deeper experience. Um, And from the brain of Gunpei Yokoi in Mm -hmm. Nintendo, um, Nintendo is always thinking cheap, not, uh, not high tech. Right. And um, I think we'll get to it, but that that's actually one of the strongest points of the game boy, right. Was how low tech it was even for the time. Mm. Um, But, uh, but out comes the game boy. Uh, in 1989, 1990, depending on where <laughs> you were, and um, and it is, you know, it's an 8-bit processor, not completely unlike um, uh, the NES, but it's like a, it's a Z80. Um, no, it's not a Z80. I'm sorry. Oh, it was using, a Z80. It's using a sharp LR35902. <laughs> for whatever that means um but uh but more importantly um yeah so it had a 160 by 144 pixel screen in the green what would you call it the the four hues of green <laughs> it's, it's different shades moss screen comes out as the game boy and it's feature complete right that's one thing i remember about the game boy was it had a pack-in game which we will get to in just one moment um had batteries, had a link cable, right? You could link mm-hmm. up Game Boys immediately, um, and it, like, and 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 I think a, a book that told you about a lot of games that were available right at the onset. But it was Touch, like yeah, a, it was a pretty complete package for uh, it was ninety American. It was eighty nine ninety nine in America. 
Um, I want to say it was, actually, I can tell you, I want to say it was like 100 yen. Oh, here we go. 12,500 yen in, um, in Japan. So it's a bubble economy. So I would say probably closer to like 115 bucks in Japan. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know if their bundle came with games and whatnot. Um, but anyway, uh, and you had talked about it was probably about 100 pound in Europe, which makes sense. They totally screwed you guys. Um, yep. <laughs> yep, that's that. Ran on four AA batteries, but it ran for what, like 10, 12 hours? Like it, you got some hours out of it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like the Game Gear where you booted yeah. up Sonic and you got to the title screen and the batteries were dead. Yeah, six hours or um, something crazy. <laughs> oh, no, the Game Gear did not make it six hours. As somebody who recently played a Game Gear on the go, mm-hmm. oh, no, sir, you're talking two to three. It's pretty bad. <laughs> um, on six, six double A's. Oh, quick, where's my fun fact? Game Gear, you can grab the Genesis 2 AC power cord or a 32x ac power cord and plug it into a game gear and use it that is how you should use a game gear in today's society (laughs) um but uh but anyway the game boy uh and and it had the dot matrix screen did have a headphone jack so you could easily keep it on the go and headphones were all the rage because we were all walking around with walkman i'm not kidding uh we didn't have discman yet (laughs) (laughs) yep tapes Mixes. You make mixes for that girl you liked, and she just took the tape and threw it away right after you gave it to her. (laughs) She'll never hear Mr. Biggs. uh, I'm the one who wants to be with you. Anyway, um, but uh, as essential and uh, so it was, it was, so the thing with the Game Boy was it was cheap to make, Mm -hmm. it was relatively durable. Um, I managed to break the screen on my Game Boy by dropping it down the stairs. But there are many stories where somebody drops it down the stairs and the screen does not break. Yep. Um, I've seen Game Boys in just... uh, I think there was an issue of Nintendo Power, which, by the way, Nintendo Power also hitting big. So Nintendo was also able... uh, Yeah, it was just hitting big. Like, I think we were in the first... Uh, season of Nintendo Power. So uh, that was another thing was you would get told about the Game Boy very quickly in Nintendo Power. So if you were a Nintendo owner, which a lot of people were in America, you'd start having the Game Boy rammed down your throat, but you didn't care because you wanted it anyway. Everybody who was anybody would probably want this, even non-gamers. And I think that's the other thing was the Nintendo had limited appeal. So did all these other video games we're talking about. The Game Boy had mass appeal. This was wanted by gamers, kids, and adults all alike. Um, And I think that stems first and foremost from its pack-in game. So Jam, why don't we talk a little bit about Tetris? That's so. it, it, which which spawns the infamous joke: your mum plays Tetris. <laughs> Pretty <much>. Yes, <laughs> that's what yes. happened with us. <laughs> so when we were at school, that's all she was playing. Fucking so. Moms around the world, man, were swiping Game Boys. It was a, it was a, 
it was a real problem. Dads were swiping Game Boys. But see, Dad, see, to me, my dad always would sometimes come in and be like, oh, what are you playing? And next thing I know, the controller's in his hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, my mom never did that. Uh, there were moms, though. I know that existed, too. I've heard oh, that yeah. story. There, There's that many stories of moms coming in and doing that. But my mom never never held that interest. So, um, it was the opposite for me. My mom was more into gaming than my dad. So. Oh, there you go. Uh, but my mom snagged the Game Boy from me a couple times. I've, I, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. If we were doing a movie marathon and bullshit she didn't want to see, and she was doing waiting for the laundry to be done, my mom would pick up the Game Boy. <laughs> um, so, uh, but Tetris was huge, Massive, and yeah, yeah, there's this great story about Nintendo and Tetris that I think I've told already. But just in case. There's a lot of rights going on, but rest assured, Nintendo had secured Tetris on the portable console, so Nintendo was covered there. But Tetris was such an ingenious pack-in. Mm. Simple and you know, addictive. <laughs> yep. Oh, my God. And the the the, the classic Russian songs oh, yeah. in it <laughs> just lend themselves <laughs> so well to the chiptune style i don't know how else to say it style of the game boy especially early sound effects and and uh, music um was just so awesome and uh they even talked about it with the recent tetris effect release that game boy version which is not the original i guess game boy game type a music is is exclusive to the game boy or something or it was not the default song on anything but the game boy yeah, and I think, yet I think people right, remember right, yeah. it to be the only version. Like that's the only song that's associated in people's minds with Tetris, which proves just how much people played on the Game Boy and not elsewhere. I remember playing the shit out of Tetris on the NES as well. It was so fascinating to me that I owned Tetris on both the Game Boy and the NES. Like somehow I wanted it on the NES as well. Um, and yet the Game Boy version's what's so ingrained in my mind. Yeah, yeah. So most people just they still associate um, Tetris's origins on the Game Boy, despite obviously existing before that. But yeah, I I also remember people uh, calling it like a Game Boy machine. Like I remember people being fascinated when you took the Tetris cart out and you could put a different game in there, and that's fascinating (laughs) because that didn't happen um, in portables up until this point, right? The LCD Tiger game was always the same game. and uh, and people just thought that Tetris was enough for you to drop ninety bucks on it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like they most were people like, did. Oh. yeah, yeah. It was it was it was the Wii of its time. Nobody nobody bought anything but Wii Sports. Uh, but uh, in in the average household, but yeah, it was the Tetris machine, um, and it was addictive. And it was the first time I saw other people doing stuff like that on like trains. Now I saw mm. trains a lot more because I was a, in a suburb of Chicago. So we'd frequently ride the train to go downtown and stuff like that. And I'm going to go out on a limb and be stereotypical and say, Europe frequently uses trains as modes of transportation in that neck yes. of the woods I've heard. And so is it not uncommon for the average European or at least Eastern European to uh or sorry, Eastern European. Western <laughs> European. Western <laughs> yeah. European. Yeah, don't you don't have to speak to Russia right now, which I know is in Asia, but whatever. Um is it normal for the average Western European to be on a train at some time in the year? 
Uh, well, definitely. Um, like I'm more speaking to where or like UK. Uh, like okay. commuting was a big. I, I used to do most of my commuting on the train when I was younger. Uh, it's only until I sort of moved down to these more suburban areas, which will, this will speak to America as well. When you know driving is the only way of transport, really. But um, but there is this, there is a there's still a decent train network where I am here actually. So I can I can hop on the train and get to the city centre. Um, so cool. uh, the big one obviously for us is London. Obviously, I used to I said yeah. at the beginning of the show I used to commute to London and work there for a while, uh, and everybody gets on the train for that. You know, obviously, it's no no you, you, you you're suicidal to drive to London. <laughs> oh, I saw National yeah. Lampoon's European Vacation. Yeah, no, I, you could you never know. get past Big Ben in Parliament. Like it was. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. We also have this little thing called the congestion. Charge. So even if you drive into the city, you have to pay an additional fee to take your car in anyway. Um, so yeah, everyone takes trains. Um, we just call it a tollway. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, but so I yeah I saw uh, it's actually quite cute actually because when I, I used to go to London a lot when I was younger as well. So I did see the um, you know the because we had the old London businessmen with their suits and their hats and all that crap, and you know they had a Game Boy. <laughs> thinking, wow, that that sort of that suit doesn't match the because yeah, you'd think oh, it's interesting to be playing that little electric truck. You have like a book or a newspaper, your posh kit. So, yeah, I always think about those vests, you know, that usually had the the stopwatch in it, the pocket watch. Yeah, and like, could you jam a Game Boy into that little pocket? <laughs> exactly. Into that waistcoat. <laughs> uh, I won't lie. I heard that. Uh, I, I think my dad was telling me this that um, you started to see people. Uh, opting out of the flat paper briefcase and into the more padded briefcase if they wanted to carry a Game Boy. Like, not everybody wanted a Game Boy, but for those that did, a padded briefcase or one of the more suitcase-like briefcases suddenly became something they would carry, as opposed to people who would sometimes just have, like, a zip-up flat paper briefcase of some kind. Mm. Um, So I thought that was kind of cute. Um, So, um, but... But yeah, and and the other thing we should say about the Game Boy was the design was ingenious because it had the signature Nintendo Plus mm-hmm. D-pad and the BA start select buttons. So it was identical to the gamepad uh, nice on the NES. Yeah. So it was nice, it was simple. Everybody remembers the color scheme. Can you can you see it right now? It's like pale white with mm-hmm. the black jet black D-pad, the gray squishy start and select buttons and those it w- they weren't ruby red. They were on the NES, but in that one, it was more maroon, wasn't it? It was like the darker. Yeah, it wasn't like a bright. Darker so, red. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sort of oh, almost violet, maybe. Sure. Yeah, maybe I'm getting sure. my colors wrong, but. <laughs> depends on your, well, it depends on, on your, your lighting, but yeah. Um, and, uh, and it felt good, felt good and, 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 and beefy in your hands. So, I, I, I always like the buttons. They're, they're solid buttons apart from the, um, the start and select, which were, which give me flashbacks to the ZX Spectrum because they they got that squishy weird. Squishy buttons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, feel to them. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, you the can poke your fingernail buttons. into them if you need to fidget at something and you'd always find that one kid, you know, the fidgety kid, he'd always have part of his like select button broken off. You know what I mean? Cause it was like a foam almost. It was like a rubbery foam, uh, not for all the buttons, just for start and select. But yeah, even though Tetris took everything by storm, for the gamer, Tetris was just the beginning. It was a very short period of time before you wanted to pick something else up for this machine. Um, That's true. Yeah, yeah that, was like, that true for you? Too? That, that was the, the only game for some people. <laughs> yeah, early on, I remember. Uh, um, 
There was F1 racing. I think that was a day and date thing. Where, remember it had the four-player adapter? Mm-hmm. It had this weird cube that came with it, and you could plug in the link cable and link up to four Game Boys together. Because normally if you had two, you could just use the link cable and you could do, uh, you know, versus mode. Like it was one-on-one versus mode with Tetris. I remember that was fascinating. Uh, but not as fascinating as it should have been. Like, I don't know about you, Jam, but once my buddy got a Game Boy, because everybody got one for Christmas of 89 if you were a gamer mm-hmm. and in the know and knew to ask for it. It was just cheap enough that everybody got it. And never a shortage. Unlike everything else that Nintendo's ever released, I'm sure Game Boys sold out at that time period, but everybody I know who wanted one got one, and I don't remember saying that of a Nintendo console ever, ever, since or before. I knew friends who wanted an NES and their parents just couldn't find one in 1988. Um, 87, 88 was really the big time for people to get those for Christmas. Super Nintendo? Ha! Ha! (laughs) (laughs) This shit was sold out until like 93. Nintendo 64? Are you kidding me? I've already told that story many times. And uh, I think we're all old enough to remember everything from the GameCube on. But yeah, no, you could never find a console. Uh, Game Boy, I don't remember ever having that problem with. I think everybody who wanted a Game Boy could always get it. I always remember seeing it on the shelves. It was, that was a unique thing about it. And I think that always continued with their portables. I always felt like, uh, I know. Lately, there were little stints where the 3DS would pop in and out. But for the most part, it seemed like the portable supply chain was always good. I remember at least with the Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance, they were always available. If you wanted one, you could walk into a big box retailer and usually see one sitting there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I remember F1. Uh, oh, well, so what I was going to say was with uh, Tetris, you would find a friend who had it. You would link up to it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you would play two-player. And then, like, okay, that was cool. And then I don't remember using that link cable much at all after that. (laughs) Like, ever. I think we dug it out for Mortal Kombat and kind of did the same thing again. I was like, this is kind of... We'll get to it, but like, this is kind of shitty on the Game Boy. Okay, we'll move on. That that Mortal Kombat port was just... That's something else. (laughs) The Game Gear was supreme. But we'll we'll talk about that in a different episode. But anyway... (laughs) um, so, uh, but I, I do remember, uh, so I wasn't a big F1 racer person. I do hear you guys out there, uh, out there, sorry, I just became uh, Canadian. Um, you guys out there in uh, UK, big F Formula One racing people, are um, you? Yep. Pretty yeah, big so over here, absolutely. How did F1, was F1 racing real popular when that came out uh, around the launch window of the Game Boy for you guys? Yeah, I'd say I I would say so. F1 racing games generally are generally sort of quite well liked in this region. Um, gotcha. It's I don't, I I'd be honest. I don't think I've even played the Game Boy version, but um, ah. but yes, yeah, sport, sport any any kind of main sports game, especially if it's football related, slash slash soccer, is always always popular here. <laughs> so regardless gotcha. of who, yes. who, whose names at the top of Jam it. is speaking of the soccer uh, for <laughs> Americans. Uh. <laughs> The FIFA. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, uh, I did have somebody recently, just fun fact, I had yep. somebody recently ask me why um, a soccer game is called Winning Eleven. And I was like, well, it's, um, yeah, never mind. Uh, so uh, am I correct? Winning Eleven, that's the number of people on the yeah, team? Yeah, 11. Okay. Uh, yeah. 11 aside. <laughs> is that the average club? 
Is that what they're called? Soccer football clubs? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Clubs. Okay. <laughs> is that what they... Uh, I'm I'm terrible teams, when it comes yeah. to, <laughs> to be honest, okay, I'm not so team. So it is a <laughs> it is a football team. It's not a club. So what's the club thing from? Anyway, well we'll do a soccer episode. Say <laughs> watch this space. But uh, uh, another big one I remember a launch area, and I wanted it, and I don't think I ever got it. Was Alleyway, which was a version Ooh, of Arkanoid. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, do you remember that? I, the, the, I did. Yeah, I really enjoyed that game. <laughs> I even had that yeah. one for yes. <laughs> really? Yeah, and and I remember Mario comes across in the front. It was like fan service to the nth degree, but oh, Mario he, comes across and jumps in the capsule before you play. He sort of did that a lot, though, didn't he? With some games he where he wasn't even necessarily in the game, but he just <laughs> they put they, he they just sold him out. <laughs> oh, and see, in Nintendo, they did that all the time. Mario is the sprite in golf he's your mm-hmm. ref in uh punch mike out. tyson's punch out yeah he's watching mikey just i'm gonna, th- I'm gonna slug you to the to the mat man i'm gonna slug you to the mat you know and he just was like one two three technical knockout you know like mario didn't give a fuck that's why it was so normal for mario to be a doctor all of a sudden yep. like yeah he didn't care um but uh that's everything <laughs> so yeah alleyway do you have any fond memories of alleyway any any good stories involving alleyway or just a just a fun game well i, I, I didn't really say this i i wasn't when i was younger i i wasn't really big into tetris so i didn't really care much about tetris i guess um, for my young brain it wasn't enough excitement and explosions or something i don't know but, that's fair but, that's but, fair yeah but then I, when i got older and much more boring i did i loved tetris absolutely but alleyway for some reason when i was younger that one really hit me i don't know maybe it is just that arkanoid kind of style game or breakout style where it was just this because it is very fast and frantic isn't it with that oh, yeah. d-pad yeah you, you, you hit that ball and uh, and I, I guess what i quite enjoyed about it is that it, it kept it was a, it was a changing game as well so it kind of surprised you with its different levels i know it seems crazy us talking about this retro stuff now because when you look back at it it's like it's pretty simple it's just a screen by screen you know take out all the blocks and that's about it but i don't know this this stuff was exciting back when i was younger <laughs> it's like well, wow there there are people tons of people who thought alleyway was the original progenitor of this concept mm. not knowing about arkanoid or breakout um mm. which alleyway was to be fair like a hybrid yeah yeah and what was cool about alleyway that i recall was the way nintendo could put its own spin on it outside of mario jumping into the capsule um the blocks could be positioned into little pictures and i remember there were uh, nintendo-based pictures uh in some of those Mm. I remember an N. I remember that very distinctly, uh, an N level. Um, but I think there was like a mushroom. I feel Star like there was a mushroom. Like that, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the typical you know, yeah. easy stuff. Um, but I remember Alleyway being a huge one. The other one I remember being huge, and I hated this game. <laughs> yeah, was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: oh, Fall yeah. of the Foot Clan. <laughs> I was wondering if we're going to talk about that. <laughs> okay, well, and real quick, why did I hate this game? Because it 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 ushered in a early and very unfortunate uh, factor in lots of Game Boy games, which was a big, beautiful, detailed, bright sprite for your character that took up like sixty percent of the real estate of the screen. So you didn't know what the hell was going on around you because they'd basically do a zoomed-in view for that. Um, and I've also heard a rumor that like Fall of the Foot Clan can be beaten in like eight to ten minutes or something. But probably, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. true. But 
Yeah, so Ninja Turtles follow the Foot Clan. Um, I think we've talked about it before on the show, but yeah, did, did you have this game? Did you like this game? Were you? I never had this game. I did. I think it was uh, this was a a friend had it, and I had a had a play around of it, and didn't really care for it much. But again, that was in a very short space of time. But like this was, but this was normal. Like I got to say, back then, everybody had it. No one really liked it, but you you had it. Right? You had it. Yeah, exactly. And, well, and also because it was based off your favorite childhood <laughs> sort of show. Right, and publishers saw it sell like gangbusters, and they were like, "Yeah," because yeah, like you couldn't return games, right? You couldn't <laughs> return games. You never can. But it makes more sense nowadays. Like nowadays, if you buy a game mm-hmm. and you don't like it. If it's a mainstream game like we're describing here, that's kind of shame on you. Back then, fuck, we didn't know. Yep. <laughs> we got one screenshot, and if you were lucky, the GamePro guy's head would be exploding, um, and you were like, okay, let's buy this. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I did not care for Follow the Foot Clan um, at all. Got a lot of sequels. <laughs> there were sequels. There were definitely sequels. Well, I think the other thing I should stress is um, while Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the NES, the first one, was kind of a weird anomaly. Either you liked disarming the bombs in the dam level or you didn't. Mm. Um, it's it's a level that takes place on a structure known as a dam. I'm not calling it the dam level. Um, but uh, And you either liked the way that game rocked or didn't it was a weird use of the license um but after that the other two nintendo games that were loosely based off of the arcade brawler on nes were fantastic and so that was kind of what i thought they were going to do with follow the foot clan and to be fair like it right it walked talked and acted like a ninja turtle game it just wasn't very fun to play Mm. (laughs) so um but yeah uh any other uh, well we will get to Super Mario Land in just a second, so I just want to <laughs> let you know that's where I'm planning to go. Yeah, um, but any other launch-esque window, first year kind of Game Boy games you remember being just early grabs and enjoys that weren't like major franchises? I don't know, I don't know if it was a launch one, but it, it probably was. Is um, Good old Quicks, you might remember that one, Q-I-X. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I call it Kicks, but I don't know what the right pronunciation is. I don't know. Yeah, um, QIX. Yeah, um, that's based off obviously just yeah. It and would I, later be converted to porn games. There are lots of porn games where you reveal the <laughs> pornographic image in bars <laughs> yes. by playing this game. Uh, I, I've heard. I've never seen it firsthand myself. Absolutely not. Anyway, well, no, no, no porn games, <laughs> no porn images in this. Unless, not unless it's some secret level I didn't get to. If you never know. No. No, Nintendo um, didn't allow that. Yeah, but it's just that is that obviously that infamous arcade game, um, the uh, on the possible. Yeah, it, it the, seemed the very infamous suited. arcade game, Gal's Panic. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> no more hentai jokes. I promise. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's all right. Um, it, it seemed just kind of suited to it because the game is pretty straightforward. You know, you're just a line trying to draw the, you know, get well, reveal more of the picture of our getting hit by the bits all the things that are flying around on the screen um, yeah let me let me real quick just explain it a little more because i don't think a lot of people probably really? know kicks okay. nowadays okay. yeah but basically you've got a square border you know mm. it's just like a frame and it's blank in the middle like the the whole inside is blank and you are a dot working the perimeter and at any time you can leave that perimeter and draw a line but if your line 
Uh, so there's items floating around inside the empty picture frame, and then there are ones working the border as well, aren't there? Yes, that's right. Is it the border, and they're in the middle of the screen as well? Right. So, like so if sparks, some, usually, yeah. Yeah, and if something is moving, like if you're on the border, you're basically safe. Mm. But if you are drawing a line, both you and your line aren't safe till you get back to the border, and then when you do whatever area you've kind of boxed in with your your line because you can move in multiple directions so you kind of make quick squares and rectangles and stuff to fill up real estate well what happens then is that reveals either uh that either shades in or later on in time the arcade games would reveal pictures um and uh those became safe spots you know like those became more borders you could be along that were safe spots and eventually your goal was to take up a significant portion of the real estate you know shaded in you know or revealed mm. you know and it'd get harder and harder eventually you'd have to do like 97 percent of the screen which is like nigh impossible and um there were ways you could kind of like trap your obstacles into boxes and and, and destroy them and stuff like that so anyway yeah. Surprisingly, lots, lot of depth for something so simple. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I don't know if I ever had kicks on the Game Boy, but that was like if I didn't, I remember playing on somebody's, probably my friend Mike's, uh, Game Boy all the time, or mm. borrowing the cart. That was the other thing. I didn't uh, trade Nintendo games a lot, although I know some people did. Definitely, mm. trading Game Boy games was normal. You'd you'd bring them to school. We brought them to school. Like I remember having my oh, yeah. Game Boy in my backpack. And you would you would swap out games, uh, carts with people, not permanently, just temporarily. Um, and I don't remember many people losing them or keeping them. It, it all stayed surprisingly civil and and well maintained, at least in in my neck of the woods. So I don't know. Mm. But I never really did that. Yeah. Well, there you go. You had bad friends, Jim. Yeah, well, that's because there was it. Well, because obviously there's another console that released. Um, was it like a year later? The, Are you the, about the game? Yeah, another color system. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, the Lynx. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic <laughs> system. I'm glad it came out. Um, no. Uh, so, moving on, if you don't mind, it's only a matter of time before Nintendo and publishers start to migrate the big Nintendo franchises, the NES franchises, over to the Game Boy. Right, it was almost immediate, um, <clears throat> and Nintendo led the charge with Super Mario Land, um, which was wow, just a fever dream of a game. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> it really was. Right, <laughs> so, um, so it was something else. <laughs> and uh, and they they did something that I really liked, which was they made Mario very small. Right, they knew he was iconic. They knew you would be able to identify him. So they made him very small, mm-hmm. and um, you could see a majority of the screen, right? They literally scaled Super Mario Brothers down to Game Boy size postage stamp screen. You know what I mean? And those that did this were really smart, and it worked. Um, although with Super Mario Land 2, they would prove you could zoom into and have detailed sprites, and it'd work. And I think the public didn't like it, because obviously they made that directional change to zoom back in. So who knows? But yeah. So, um, but yeah, Super Mario Land 2 was, uh, or Super Mario Land 1 was something. Um, do you want to describe a little bit like why that was a weird game? 
because it wasn't the formula you expected for Mario. I mean, it, it you know, had Mario's in it. You know, he, he does still, he grabs the mushroom, he gets bigger, that sort of stuff. But like, for example, like the, the first level you, you've, the thing you're used to is the old, um, what they, the, not, the, not the Goombas, the turtle people. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the, the Koopa Ko- Troopers. Or something. Yeah, Koopa Troopers. Yeah, the Koopa Troopers. <laughs> I'm not very good at my Mario lore, as you can tell. You're but, good, you're but good. But when you jump on one of those, they don't go into the shell, they turn into a bomb right yeah and then there's this weird thing where there's like these insects running around as well they, they kind of introduce new enemy types and everything like that they so it was, it was kind of different from what you expected but the the, the heart and the soul was still what? there because you still had like the fireball you know, the fire flower all that true but the main boss you're fighting against oh, yeah. too is like it's egyptian theme there's like a pharaoh and yeah it's mario's riding a submarine now it's like <laughs> there, there are shooter levels yeah right there are side-scrolling shooter levels uh in this game it's it's just something else i don't know how that's, else that's to describe it. For it it's it's fascinating i think it's uh, yeah it, it's part platformer part shooter uh part egyptian but part familiar too mm. And you would think there's an Egyptian theme, but no, the music is... Nope. Uh, and I, I know this is a perfect opportunity to splice it in. I may or may not. But but just to give perspective, the music, just with a quick hum, is like... Boop, 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 do, 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 boop, do, 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 do. And then do you remember when you go underground, it's the boom, 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 And so that was real distinct and like, I, quite yeah, like I don't that, know, there was <laughs> pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like there, that was, it, it was so charming and it was so different, but yet familiar. Kind of like you said, mm-hmm. right. Like, all the boxes are there, right? You're like, okay, this plays. This plays as a Mario game. You see a screenshot. You're like, okay, I know what that is. Um, But it wasn't. (laughs) You play it, and you're like, this is odd. But I don't remember disliking it. I remember really liking Super Mario Land. I remember it being, well, balls hard, like, compared to the the NES game. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, and but I think Super Mario Bros. 1 was hard also, Mm. and Mario 2 was dirt easy for a lot of us. And so I remember enjoying that. And I remember working hard to... I never owned Mario Land 1, believe it or not. Mm. Um, I think it was just bad timing. I I requested the wrong games at the wrong time and didn't get it. Um, And uh, as such, I did borrow my friends and did beat it. And I remember when I beat the Pharaoh. Like, I felt... That was one of the first times where I felt like I didn't need to go back to this game. I have accomplished it. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really feel that way when I beat Super Mario Brothers. Um, I was always like, well, let's put it on the side in case we go back to it. But yeah, Mario Land felt, I felt done when I finished it. Um, so you could also save, I think. I think it saved what world you were on. Do you remember there were like three save games and you hopped in the pipe? I might be well, remembering the, Mario 2. That's the second two. one. No, this one didn't okay. have that. You, um, okay, my mistake. Y- yeah, you were stuffed. <laughs> right, yeah, right back to the beginning. But... Back to level one. <laughs> yeah. I do remember there were doors. Do you remember that? Like what? Yep. how you'd finish the level? You either had an upper door or a lower door? Hmm. 
Mm. I don't remember if that mattered. That, that became at all. kind of a thing for the Game Boy games, actually. Even the second one did that. Oh, okay. Where if you went into the the harder to reach door, the, usually the top one, um, you would go to a bonus level where there'd kind of be these scrolling ladders, um, and then it was randomized. Yeah, it's all randomized. Right. So you just pressed a button to stop the kind of, I guess, the randomization. And then if you were lucky, you'd just get more extra lives, uh, which is yeah. Because what Mario would do is he would just walk. Yeah. And if he would hit a ladder, he would climb it. And then you just try to get the best bonus. Yeah, I remember that now. Um, but yeah. Uh, so here's my question. Where do we go from this? Do we just ride that franchise real quick? Do we just, when we bring up a franchise, do we ride it out? Yeah, I'd say so. Because there's, um, there's not, well, yeah, because it, I think it'd be easier rather than going back to like stuff. We'll probably end up just saying, oh, it's compared to this game. <laughs> yeah, because we're not trying to be comprehensive here. I just want to touch on the, the big ones. Because mm. um, I should point out, I told Jam this. Um, I like the Game Boy, but the Game Boy uh, fell to the wayside for me pretty early on. After a year with it, it was just kind of a thing to have. And every now and again, if a cool game would come out, I would grab it. But mm. um, but one of those I definitely remember was Super Mario Brothers. I think I got this as an Easter present, oh, nice. uh, which is a weird thing because I don't recall getting Easter presents. But like sometimes my grandma and various other family members would do stuff cool stuff because I saw how much of a gamer I was and games would just come out at bad times and one of those I believe was Super Mario Land 2 six golden coins six gold coins this was a great game in fact many say it's like one of the best uh games on the console and it'd be hard to disagree um but this one zoomed in Mm -hmm. and had graphics uh, akin to uh, Super Mario World because it came out at about the same time. Yeah, because there's a lot because these games came out a lot later than the other Mario games. People kind of forget right. that. <laughs> Some people right. still attribute this first, uh, like the first one, the Mario Land, to be released at the same time as the first Mario. <laughs> it's like nope, <laughs> nope, came out at the same time as Mario Three. Yep. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so six golden coins would come later. Uh, it was significant. It was a really good game. It really zoomed good, yeah. in, but it had fantastic game design, incredible graphics, um, and new, uh, lots of new stuff. You could be Bunny Mario, which was ironic since I got it for Easter. But yeah, there was Bunny Mario. Do you remember the Bunny mm-hmm. Ears? Those were fun. Um, lots of weird water levels. I remember. Yeah, they did a lot of um, emphasis on the water. Um, yeah, the fire. I think it's just the bun- I think the bunny ears was the only new thing on this, and then I think never appeared again. I believe. I think that's no, it. I don't think so. But the boss, the last boss, mm. would continue to be quite a staple in Nintendo history. I do believe this is the first appearance of Wario. It's yeah. First yeah. time we see Wario, and he's the big bad. Wario, yeah. <laughs> and six golden coins, I'm just going to come out and say it, much, much easier. Oh, than much, Super Mario significantly Land. easier. Um, you could beat this game. <laughs> yeah, well, they had all the, I guess, where the Mario uh, trimmings in this one. Well, what I quite like about this one, too, which maybe a lot of them don't do even to this day, is that you could tackle the levels in any order you wanted you didn't have to start uh, in a preset order um that's true you, you played the first level which was that's the one you had to play compulsory but then after that you could travel to any of the i think it's eight no it's six it's six gold coins six um islands or world areas and then start from there in whichever which kind of made the game really replayable when you're young you know because it kind of made you yeah think, like we would refer to this, to this as sequence breaking you mm-hmm. could yeah you could just basically well maybe not because did, did they number them i forgot if they yeah, numbered well them. they they've got they've got 
bits attached to them and like you could do the whole thing yeah where you could revisit them again if you wanted to like grind lives and all that sort of stuff which i totally did that's true but um and they had they had hidden levels as well you know you could go you could find new pathways which i know that's a thing in mario as well but but that was quite for a game boy game that was all new though like even with mario world people don't realize like that just didn't happen before Mm. this and so to see them implement that into the game boy outing was fantastic let's also point out i was definitely one of them you couldn't get a Super Nintendo. Like, yeah, I was a Genesis household. I had made my choice. Um, and uh, this was the closest thing you were going to get to some of the things they were doing on the Super Nintendo, which were very quickly and very heavily brought into the Game Boy mm. um, to varying degrees of success, uh, to be fair. So, um, but yeah, Mario Land 2 was, was significant. If you play no Mario Land on the Game Boy... If you only play one Mario Land, you definitely want it to be um, two. Absolutely. And then from three, don't you play as Wario so in yeah, that one? Super Mario Land three. Um, what was it? What was it? I think it's called yeah, Super Mario Land three <laughs> Wario Land. Uh, most, oh, well, actually no. Okay, in Europe it's Wario Land dot dot Super Mario Land three. <laughs> so, I think that's what it is here too, because mm. then. Four was full blown. No, that's when they just turned, they changed it just to Wario Land. I think after that, and it was Wario Land Two after that. Um, gotcha. So yeah, so Mario's gone in this one, and it's it's now you're, you're playing the villain, <laughs> you're playing the bad guy. You know? Well, not really. Mario's a dick, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like that was the whole thing. Is is Mario is? Uh, yeah, Mario's not. Um, Mario's the bad guy. I, I, I'll be honest. I never completed this game, so I don't know, maybe you never played this game. You never played I'll it. Be I've, I played yeah. it. I've played it absolutely, but I, I never got to the end of it. Um, it's this is this this really racked up in difficulty uh, compared to the yeah the, its predecessor with Mario uh, with the six gold coins because uh, not which any, is even crazier because. Um, it, you Wario can't die. Well, no, they change. They, everything's changed now with this. Uh, it's okay. So it's kind of got those sprite graphics, like like six gold coins. But Wario is not Mario. He controls completely differently. You know, he can charge. Um, he can pick enemies up. He can fling enemies. He can do all this weird stuff. Um, it, it's stuff that you're. You know, if you're if you if you're going into this expecting a Mario game, you're like, huh? what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> It's comp- I mean, and obviously this is the the series would stick with this sort of style where you know where he does all these sort of moves like the charging. It felt a bit like back to kind of basics really with this game with the with the first Mario Land um, game. Um, mm-hmm. like you could jump on enemies, but they didn't kill them. They sort of like would they would go upside down, and then that's when you could like pick them up and you could fling them at other enemies. Which I know some people would say, oh, that's kind of similar to other Nintendo titles. I don't know, like maybe you know, Kirby or Yoshi and that sort of in, in its own kind of little place. Um, right. But this game was so very, very tough. <laughs> very, very hard. Okay, I'll have to go back and mm. yeah, check that out. Well, um, while we're here as well, it might be worth saying that. Uh, all, the, all three of these games are available to purchase digitally on the 3DS store, which is still active. So you can do that. Cool. Um, pretty cheap, fairly cheap, I think. At least in the UK, I think they're all like four pound forty nine, I think, something like that. But they they often go on sale. And if you have that, if you go on the My Nintendo thing, they're often they, there's often some promotion linked to them where you can get them even cheaper. Um, if you if you're a Switch person, you'll probably you'll have the, you'll, you'll know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. So um, yeah, so I, I, I certainly definitely definitely recommend um, you know, six gold coins absolutely. And um, I, I always felt that uh, Wario Land was 
a very acquired taste. I just think it's, I, I didn't play this back in the day. I should say this is something I came back to because um, uh, this wasn't, because this was a later Game Boy entry. I think it was like in the later 90s that this came out. Um, yeah. Later down the road. I mean, let me just quickly look that up. It's Yeah, uh, we should point out that Game Boy has a long lifespan. Game Boy Color won't premiere until 1998. Mm. So it was <laughs> nine years old. So crazy yeah crazy but um, i'm just right yeah and then, and then this this um wario line goes back to the um the thing that i didn't really care for which is it, it lost that freedom where you can go in whatever order now now the levels you're going in an order so you know we're just kind of like forced into it mm. so um hold on i'm almost there for wario land there we go yeah, it was Wario Land, Super Mario Land 3, and then Wario Land 2 was the next one. But that had a different developer. Oh, wait, it was unreleased. Never mind. Uh, this was 94. So there you go. I, well, I, said just a, I think it's just a year after the other one. There you go. That's quite quick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, I want to go through a couple more real quick. So we would be remiss if we didn't. I think we've already talked about it, but Donkey Kong. So Donkey Kong 1989. No, wait. Was it 89? Donkey Kong 89? Or 91 or something? Anyway, I the sequel mean. to Donkey Kong came out, which had like 100 levels as like a puzzle thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember this one. <laughs> I was just checking the day. Yeah. 94. Sorry, go. it's Donkey Kong 94. That's it. Yeah, so it was later, like Jam said. Like, it was weird when games came out on the uh, Game Boy. It's so much later on than, than the original. <laughs> right, that, that I just didn't think about it. I assumed it was early on. But that one's a cool thing. But you can dig Donkey Kong. It's just like, imagine if instead of four stages repeating over and over again, somebody made like 100 stages and gave it more of a puzzle element. That is Donkey Kong. Uh, it's a really fun game, and like Jam said, I think we've talked about it before, and it's available on the uh, on the 3DS. Um, but also, it's note, nice too, yeah. was Donkey Kong Land. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Oh, they gosh. used the dot matrix shaders <laughs> yeah. to kind of create <laughs> Donkey Kong Country yeah. in its own trilogy, right? They were different games <laughs> on the fucking <laughs> Game Boy, which is crazy to me. I've never played them. So have you? I, uh, yeah, I've, I've not got gotten the, into. I've got the first one of the Donkey Kong Land, and I, I, I really didn't like these games. Okay. I wasn't really okay. huge about these on the Super Nintendo either. I, I've got an appreciation for them because of the graphics and stuff, but um, I don't know. There's something about the platforming, but they try. I mean, this this is a joke <laughs> I wanted to make at some point during the show. Is that um, the joke that when I've always felt when I was younger is if a game exists, um, there's a port of it on Game Boy. Is what I used to say. <laughs> Totally true. Totally true. So just so you know, we're not going to walk through all of these. There were just a couple of powerhouses it's, I wanted to get to. Everything but. was ported to Game Boy. Even kind of popular games on Mega Drive were ported to Game Boy. And this, and this. Oh yeah. Yes. And this is what this felt like to me. Aladdin was there. Lion King was there. Earthworm Jim was. Yeah. They were all there. They're all there. Um, uh, so yeah, Donkey Kong Land is. It, it has all that stuff that you're used to in the Super Nintendo version. It's got the but you've got the hulking big sprite of Donkey Kong. But the problem I had of it is it, it, it's so hard to tell what's going on in that game when you're playing on the dot mate is it this is a game that did not benefit from being on the game boy and, uh, and let's just let's just knock out the middleman right now and say like that is the case with so many of these ports yeah. mortal kombat's bad because you either can't tell what's going mortal kombat is not alone in this but like in a lot of these games uh they're bad because either the sprites are so big or the design is is not conducive to the game boy mm. or 
the performance is as such that it's not very playable. Um, you know, so like it worked, sure. Like Game Boy Mortal Kombat worked, sure, but it wasn't it wasn't what you wanted. And you can see that. Like, I didn't Capcom just full blown say we're just not going to do Street Fighter. We're just not. <laughs> that's not getting, getting ported. Um, but Midway was like, no, we'll we'll pull everything. Yeah, we'll strap Game Boy in there. Yep. Uh, bloodless fatalities and everything. But um, <laughs> yep. but uh, but yeah. So Donkey Kong Land, I, I know, was there again. As somebody who is just now for the first time ever beaten Donkey Kong Country one, now I'm going to go into the other parts of that trilogy and see if it gets stronger or weaker. Uh, but uh, that's a thing. But yeah, some of those platforming puzzles near the end of that game are fucking brutal. Oh yeah, just yeah. imagine real that pixel game, perfect. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of. And I'm like, that's not fun. That wasn't fun on the... I got real frustrated at the end of Donkey Kong Country. The closest you are to um, just launching your Super Nintendo out the window is is like a level or two before the end of that game. Um, and the ending really sneaks up. You don't know you're near the end of that game. Um, but anyway. Uh, so... Another franchise that was a big Nintendo one. Oh well, so there are a couple other big Nintendo franchises. I just want to touch on them and mm-hmm. and let you let us talk about them. But Konami, of course, got involved and brought its signature items over. So there was Gradius, aka Nemesis. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was called Nemesis even in America on the Game Boy, um, and it was Gradius on the portable, and it kind of worked. But again, we have a screen real estate problem. I think Gradius benefits from seeing a certain amount of the screen and you didn't get to on Game Boy and that made it very limited in scope, I guess I would say. The other thing that was funny was to strip... They had to, for the sake of the screen, strip it down so the Vic Viper is like twice the size of the boss you're fighting, which I always thought was hilarious. Mm. Um, but it, it, like I said, it worked. Um, and Castlevania. So, did you ever play the Castlevania Adventure? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I have Castlevania one Adventure of those. Two: Belmont's Revenge. <laughs> um, so, Castlevania games on the Game Boy are notorious for being shitty games, and I, I think they're absolute trash. Um, thoughts? <laughs> well, I was, was making a joke by saying Konami obviously thinks they're worth something by releasing them on the was it the Castlevania Anniversary Collection. <laughs> The, oh, they're on there. That's yeah, right. Both of them as well. like, um, yeah, sorry. We we could talk about them, but I gotta tell you just real quick off the cuff, that anniversary, those the the Contra and um and uh Castlevania, Castlevania collections, mm-hmm. they were fine, but they just seemed lazy. Yep. Uh I don't know if we'll do an episode on them. Well we may yeah, very briefly as well, we were saying we might mention about um follow up from the the arcade one and uh yeah it, I, i'm sort of I've, I've held back on getting that can, um the arcade one because of the laziness of the ports really because they're not they do the typical thing that if you want the japanese versions you have to buy the japanese version of the game and if you want the western yes. version, which is just this just stupid well and that was hamster who <laughs> uh developed those they do a lot of the arcade classics and mm. that's uh, a constant complaint they get about their arcade classics games as well i heard the book was pretty cool but it's not 20 bucks to buy no, no. cool that's what i've heard um, yeah 
And I and people are like, well, what if the Castlevania one's really good? And I'm like, mm, there's this guy. You might know him. His name's Kurt Kalata. He runs this little website called Hardcore Gaming 101. They did a pretty comprehensive Castlevania book. And there's a second one uh, about to come out, not from them, but from somebody else. I think I'll be okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so... Back to Castlevania Adventure. I can't pinpoint what's so bad about this game, but it's just... First of all, they do the Mario Land thing. Like, right? Simon Belmont's a small sprite. Mm -hmm. Um, They have new enemies. Like I said, kind of new inventive enemies. The big rolling eyeball. Everybody remembers that. (laughs) Yep. It's fun. Um, They have all the weapons and sub-weapons, as far as I recall. The big bat is still your level one boss. It just... I think they did... Wasn't it platforming puzzles that came pretty early on that were just trash? There was something where you'd hit a wall very early into that game. Yeah, I I think it was... um, One one issues I had with this uh, game, the first game... I never played the second one, but the first one was the... um, The controls just really didn't felt off for a Castlevania game. It was very... I don't even remember the jumping of this game. It's like... It's, no, is, is, is it Simon you pay, pay as in this game as well? I can't remember I which Simon one. It's Dumb. a different one, probably. Um, a belt. No, in the first one, I don't think. I think you are Simon. But I'll double check this. The sequels, you aren't. But he, he he just moves incredibly slow as well in this game. Like it's just not fluid. It's just all. clunky. Yeah, clunky. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, here we go. Well, Castlevania Legends, Castlevania the Adventure. There we go. Adventure. Um, yeah. Let's see here. Castlevania the Adventure, blah, blah, blah. Came out in 89, though, so it was a launch game. Um, set a century before <laughs> the events of Castlevania, so you're not Simon. You play Christopher Belmont. Okay. <laughs> He's on a quest to defeat Dracula. Figure that. <laughs> wow. Uh, right, right. Um, and what really sucks is this game was cleaned up and yep. made to look and feel like a real game yep. by M2. <laughs> I believe it was M2 who did the Rebirth series, mm-hmm. the Castlevania Rebirth, which is a remake of the Castlevania Adventure, and it's great, and it's not available on Wii. Hack your Wii. Get your hands on the <laughs> that game. <laughs> because Nintendo won't sell it to you um, because it's a fantastic game. I really like Castlevania Rebirth. Mm. Um, But yeah, and then the sequel, uh, you died too easily. You took too much damage with every hit and they just flooded the screen with it. The third one, you're a girl. Which is not weird. Yeah, it's called like the Castlevania something. But anyway, you're a girl and it's got kind of a cool... um, You feel great. Like it, it, it... the character moves like a Belmont, although I don't think she uses a whip, I think is the other thing. I think she uses a melee weapon, mm. like a sword or something. Um, but there's another problem with that one. Uh, I think it's just that the bosses are really hard. So like really easy levels and really hard bosses. And when you die, I think you have to go back to the very beginning of the level. So I just didn't have the patience for it. 
Um, but Castlevania did not translate to the portables uh, very well. Obviously, when the Egavanias come, the they'll transfer yeah. to portals very well. But uh, these early ones, no. On the flip side, uh, Mega Man, I was never too into Capcom's Mega Man. Yeah, I know. But all six had ports over to the Game Boy. And people tell me they're I've somewhat they're similar, good. somewhat different what I've, I've, I've heard that they're actually their own thing really so yeah people really dig them mm. um never played them and i'm gonna be just up front i don't i think that ship has sailed for me yeah i'm i'm, I'm, I'm surprised with the whole with capcom's <laughs> boner for metagram collections they haven't done like a game boy one yet but i yeah like that makes no sense i guess what do you release it on <laughs> well they release it to their river, the switch they? yeah maybe Maybe the 3DS though is <laughs> well. They're, they're on the Oops. 3DS eStore. You can get them on the or whatever you call it, the, oh, the virtual console. Okay. That all of them are there, but they're obviously. Oh, we'll see. So Capcom's released them, <laughs> but, the, what, but they're what not. What more like, could you want? They're all like separate no, I prices. I think it costs quite a bit to get all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I bet they. I bet that is by design. <laughs> yep. Well, they had all the but, um, uh, before the Legacy Collection came out on the 3DS. You could buy all of the NES games separately, which would set you back quite you a go. lot. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, because uh, actually I had all six of the NES games on the Wii, mm. uh, and they were five bucks a piece. So it was thirty bucks. You got all six. Not too shabby. Um, not great. Not too shabby. I can argue to myself now that it's okay to put them all in my flash cart <laughs> for my NES. You know, hey, uh, and the Wily Wars are fun. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, so. But yeah, and and like you said, just uh, there are plenty more examples. Those were just the ones I wanted to knock out right off the bat. But there are just a ton of Game Boy games. Are there any ones you definitely wanted to touch on that were? We'll get get in a lot of trouble if we don't talk about Zelda. (laughs) Oh God, I'm sorry. Just just brief oversight. Please, please take Zelda. I because I have not I have not played the portable Zeldas at all. Yeah, also, I guess I it's I guess this is current current as well, considering they're remaking this and selling it to you at an absurdly higher price than it was back in the day. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be sixty bucks, but at the same time, you want your re. It's not a remaster. No. You want a full blown remake. You're paying sixty bucks, yeah. and uh, as Square may prove this June, <laughs> more than sixty bucks if you really want your remakes. <laughs> so, um, Link's Awakening for the Game Boy, which is actually a freaking good game i have to say it's it is pretty mm-hmm. awesome um if you want to play the original although actually no it's not the original you can get it's the dx version which is the um game boy color version of the game is available on the e-stores um for the gotcha. not, not the switch just the 3ds of course um i believe there's a color dungeon which yeah. <laughs> playing to the strengths <laughs> is it that different though beyond that it, that's the really the there's a I think I could, I could have sworn it might be something else as well, but I, I think that the color dungeon is the main inclusion, basically. Like, is it different enough that you're like, oh shit, the DX version, or is that the better version to play in the blind if you've never touched it? I'd probably say if you've never touched it, get the DX version. That's the best one to go for for, for everybody. Um, it's it's because it, it, what they do, they they go the extra added um, the depth where they actually do add the color to the sprites individually. So they give the actual right. extra color element as opposed to the monochrome thing. But if you're one of those purists, you know you can play it in its original version. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, you're gonna have to go for the physical for that one. Um, surprisingly expensive game if you want a physical copy because I lost my oh, I didn't lose my copy my my original copy was stolen from me and I never I've never found another copy since. But I have it digitally on the 3ds so I can play it whenever I want. Um, 
but it's um okay anyway i should actually talk about what this game is obviously so um a bit like ah you're playing one zelda you played them all <laughs> <Pretty> much, <laughs> but, much like uh, we said about i'm mario. kidding no, by you're the right. way. Uh, much like we said with mario and all that sort of stuff um uh, mario uh, mario uh, six gold coins this takes obviously heavy inspiration from uh link to the past uh where it has that kind of style to it um it is very much a there's eight dungeons uh, i believe you can um tackle them in kind of an order i think you still have to do like the first few um like so this is one where i know there's an intended order and you can what we call sequence break where you yeah. play them um, in an order of your your choosing yeah but i think you can get screwed if you don't do it the right way yeah that's kind I of what know. i found when i played through it is that i think you ge- generally the for beginners i guess you want to go the one to eight routes really um and this this game actually gives you hints as well this is what one of the early things i was interesting about a game boy game is that if you didn't know where to go it kind of had this whole added element of go talk to somebody in the town or no it was the owl in this one wasn't it there's like owl statues and they're dotted around everywhere this game (laughs) well yeah yeah that's okay but this is something you might have seen in other zelda games moving forward you know like uh, majora's mask and all that sort of stuff where if you got stuck you go talk to that damn sign somewhere and it'll say do this idiot or something you know um who no um But it, it kind of gives you like a little, I think it's like a little riddle, which you kind of hinted at where you're supposed to go. And there's also, um, you got given a map as well. So, and the map was, had like that fog of war effect. So it was all, the map was all fogged out unless you had visited it. So it'd reveal mm-hmm. more of the map as you traveled across it, but it would highlight the area that you're supposed to head to. And I think it was, it usually highlighted the next dungeon for you, at least the one in order anyway. Um so that that's uh, and, and uh, you know everything else is is what you expect from a Zelda game. You know it's got it's the two item system, uh, which is kind of more akin to the NES. Um, well, actually, no, that was Super Nintendo, wasn't it? We had two items equipped. Yeah. Uh, your sword, your shield, or whatever other item we was, which was always a bloody hassle yeah. because of the because this this game featured the. Um, oh, you, I know you, I know you haven't played it, but the the, no, the, the big item that was quite kidding. new for the series is it featured um, the feather, which allowed Link to jump. You know, that's a big Zelda thing, isn't it? Jumping. <laughs> so, we, yeah, we bl- blow your mind. <laughs> so, jumping around. But obviously... Yeah, pardon me. I'm in the corner having an aneurysm right here. <laughs> yeah. so, but, um, ju- yeah, jumping. In, and it, this is still the top-down view and everything like that. So, um it became very frustrating when you're obviously constantly pausing to switch between these items, like to the feather, to the sword, to do all these stuff. So you could do multiple things at once. Um, but hey, hey, this is something we had to deal with for quite a while with Zelda games. <laughs> but, but, yeah, no, the water temple was definitely not tedious. Mm. This didn't have a water temple, thank God. But this did have that um, grind your teeth kind of, not well, not necessarily grind your teeth, but blow your mind frustration like there's one dungeon and in this game that really irritates me and i still got stuck on it when i played it years later where the game doesn't make it 100 percent clear what exactly you're supposed to do um and um i found out through just trial and error that you're supposed to kill enemies in a certain order not in the order that yeah because usually the the philosophy in dungeons is it's just kill everything and then a key will drop basically um right in this one dungeon the key's not dropping i'm thinking what what the hell man what's going on yeah why, why, why is it glitched <laughs> exactly i thought it was a glitch and no I, fi- I find out literally through my own persistence that you know you're supposed to kill that enemy first that enemy second and that enemy third and then you'll get the key <laughs> it's just how are you supposed nice. to know that <laughs> so keep the walk through uh close yeah, kids well, we didn't have those back then it's only um, for like a few choke points that's why that's what irritates me about this right. game <laughs> a bit. well i do like it i should say actually uh, but yeah so i i 
am also kind of looking forward to that remake i, I do wonder with that remake if they'll address some of those frustrations so. <laughs> i would bet so in fact i expect a decent amount of changes i'm thinking we'll get something akin to the changes we see in like resident evil they'll probably say they'll probably actually number uh, the enemies okay this one first idiot number one <laughs> <laughs> All you got to do is when you kill him, yeah, just have like a blue one pop off of him or something and boom, you you got it figured out. Yeah. But uh, but it is fun. This is – and it had um, – I think it had battery safe, so which is big, wasn't it? For oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Six, six gold coins had that too. Um, yeah, and, and it, is, it is Zelda in your pocket. You know, you can take it on the go. And it, it was a freaking massive, massive adventure. It did – you know, keep you going for a fair few hours. Yeah, it's like I said, it, it's tempting. I definitely want to play through it. Uh, I want to play through the original. Maybe I'll get some time. Um, I'm just trying to rotate in and stuff like that. You know, I was sticking to that alphabetical thing. I think I'm going to go back to my age old thing, which is play a modern game, play an old game, play a modern game, play an old game, and, you know, just bounce back and forth. Um, I mean, one could argue it but, could be uh, your L with links. <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah. And I've got plans for that. But no, now it's just like, hey, I want to play this. I'm going to go back and do it now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, I also have been strongly considering resurrecting Retro Game Night, whether streaming it or not. Uh, I don't know yet, mm. but uh, but I'm definitely interested in resurrecting. Mm. On Friday nights, I will play Retro mm-hmm. and nothing else. Uh, but uh but yeah, so, um, and then the last one I thought about that we didn't talk about, and there are many examples like this, but Voss is going to kill me if he still listens uh, for not mentioning Kirby. I've course, never played yeah, a Kirby I've, game, but Kirby gets his start on he does on Game Boy. So. It's a good game. It's very good. Uh, and then yeah. his uh, the se- there's quite a few actually because he had loads of. He, I think because well, there's the first one, the sequels on NES, and then the third one I think is Game Boy also. Yeah, they, um, they've also, there's also like a crap ton of like spin-offs for Kirby. I'm just getting them up now, actually. Because there's, okay, so you've got um, old Kirby Dreamland. Like, Kirby's Dreamland was the first one, basically, you're referring mm-hmm. to. And then you had Kirby's Pimple. Um, Kirby's, yep. Kirby, Kirby Block Ball. <laughs> block Ball. And, and I think that's the one with the gyroscope in it, where you'd rotate the Game Boy and it would... Mm. R- relate to it. Do you remember those big carts that had the gyros in them? Oh, yeah, yeah. They always yeah. had the big... yeah. And then so. you had a uh, Kirby Star Stacker as well. <laughs> so nice. Um, Dreamland Two for me was the more interesting game. Um, Kirby's Dreamland is a very quick, dirty platformer. That's what I call it. <laughs> but nice. I played through that. It's it's just very because that that's one you don't even have the whole abilities thing yeah you, know, you don't swallow their ability to take their soul all that kind of crazy stuff they did later <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very much like yeah you, know, you just you just blow up in a big balloon you i think you can eat them and then but you, you can only like shoot them out of stars at this point but it's, it's pretty straightforward and it's fun and you can complete it in less than an hour so kirby's like a okay so he's like a yoshi adjacent in that yeah one. yeah um, and then yeah. um dreamland 2 is when they started throwing in like you know not not only like the ability stuff but also these animal animals you could ride or, or you know or <laughs> command i guess 
that's why I've always seen Kirby's Kirby bag. rides I animals. That's fantastic. <laughs> I didn't know he did that. Marshmallows riding animals. Mm. What won't they think of next? But they're good, they're good um, games, yeah. So I do, I don't, I don't yeah. recommend. Definitely, uh, yeah. If we'd get in a lot of trouble for not mentioning the Kirby games on Game Boy. So. Yeah, and again, I like I said, uh, you know, and and I know the Gargoyles Quest fan is out there. Yeah, oh I'm God, sorry. yeah. We're not gonna, <laughs> we're not gonna, we're not gonna go that route. But but yes, we know you're out there, and it's. Uh, I've heard it's a fantastic game. Play as the armor. I've got that get game. Back, well, I've got uh, Gargoyles Quest. I've got the physical Arthur. copy. <laughs> so. Wow. Those are those are of somewhat value and, and rarity, you know. And again, I could talk about Kid Dracula. We could go we could on go, forever. Yeah. Um, one thing I did want to touch on was accessories. There were some oh God, weird yeah. accessories. Everybody always had the padded case, mm-hmm. but then there was the Game Boy light and magnifier. You'd either have a light because they were impossible to see, and the lights oftentimes created a glare that didn't really help you. I, I found they made things worse. <laughs> I never found yeah. Them, so. And then, of course, there were the magnifying glasses. These are as archaic as you can think of. They looked like big square magnifying glasses that would hold over your Game Boy. It was hilarious. Um, that accessory was dumb. There was even dumber stuff, like uh, the Game Boy uh, uh, camera, mm-hmm. where you could get dot matrix versions of yourself, and then you could buy the printer and print them out. Fun fact, Game Boy cameras and printers are still readily available on the internet today. Uh, eBay, you don't pay too, too much for them, as I recall, but, uh, crazy accessories for those. And then of course, skins. I remember Game Boy skins and stickers being on Game Boys all the time Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Most common accessory I was buying was a new battery door. Um, but yeah, yeah. And nowadays in the post-mod market, you can, uh, add a backlight to them and you can do a, um, a, it's called a buy something uh, modification where you basically make all of the uh, uh, bivert. It's a bivert mod. You make all the whites black and the blacks white, and then you use a special screen type to ju- or a screen filter to basically polarize them and reverse them so that it looks like a normal Game Boy image. Um, I performed this mod. You need some soldering skills. You need definitely a decent amount of patience. I performed this mod, and actually it was the Bivert mod chip that you solder into the motherboard that wasn't hard to do, but I never liked the connections, and it caused a little bit of splotchiness on my screen. I never damaged the screen, which is usually what people do, or the ribbon cable to the screen. Um... To me, it's not really worth it. It's a lot of work. It's it's good if you want to get into the modding scene and see if you're cut out for it because these are really small parts and semi-small soldering. You got to do some desoldering, lifting pins and stuff like that. It was a fun beginner project for me, but it was so much easier to just pay 60 bucks on the internet for somebody who's already done it for you. Um, so if you're looking to buy a Game Boy nowadays, it's probably best to buy a backlit Bivert mod Game Boy for usually between 60 and 80 bucks. Mm. Um they use battery m- quicker, but then again, rechargeable batteries are all the rage now. Uh, me, I always stuck to the weird emulator version, which was the Super Game Boy. Super Game Boy. Yep. <laughs> yeah, if you had a Super NES, you could play the Super Game Boy. Fun fact: my buddy did not have a Super, or he did not have a Super Game Boy or a Game Boy. And I didn't have a Super NES, so I owned a Super Game Boy that I would bring to people's houses and play, and even my cousin's house at the lake. Mm. 
and play Game Boy games on them. Um, they added a very limited color palette. Some of them had uh, they had pre-programmed in like specific color palettes for games like Donkey Kong 94. And I do think Link's Awakening, now mind you, only Game Boy games work on the Super Game Boy, not Game Boy Color That's games. True. So you yeah, couldn't have yeah. the DX version. You had to have the original version. But the original version did and it had a four-hue <laughs> color scheme Yeah, um, for, uh, for uh, Super Game Boy. But and it was just a Game Boy on your TV screen. Mm-hmm. It was simple as that. Uh, did you ever play around with this or use this much? I've got one. Yeah, I've got. I've got. I got. Obviously, I got this later down the road. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it's it's fun. It's a fun fun thing. To, I, I like the fact that you could play around with like the filters and the color schemes and stuff like that. So you could turn like Mario Land into like this dark. Uh, kind of gruesome <laughs> looking sort of ne- neon looking yeah game. there's a lot of filters yeah, yeah. um I, i'd find messing around with that sort of stuff but yeah it's basically just the games on your super nintendo really on, on the big screen um uh, but yeah yeah the it should be noted the super game boy one which the that was the only one released in the west um has some uh, emulation issues. I wouldn't even say emulation. It's just hardware. But it has some conversion hardware issues. And it has some frame pacing issues and things like that. So the games sometimes run a little too slow or a little too fast and can drop frames and whatnot. You start to notice it if you really get technical. Do you notice it, Jam? Like if you're not looking for it? I uh, don't really. I, 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 okay. I, I know what I know what you're referring to, but it's um, it didn't really bother me that much. <laughs> I'd say it's a problem that's more academic mm. than practical. Mm. I don't recall seeing that back when I was a kid, and I do. I don't recall seeing it much now. Uh, I am, of course, a perfectionist by design when it's academic. So. You can buy the Japan-only Super Game Boy 2, which is a cottage industry now because they know they're in high demand and they are becoming more and more rare as we're getting farther and further away from the release of it. Um, It was a refined version of the hardware that runs things basically Game Boy perfect. Uh. Um, Pretty damn close to it. Um, Has Super Game Boy in general has mild compatibility issues on stuff like the analog NT, but I still predominantly play game boy or on a on a legit super nintendo on my crt and so it works perfectly well there uh so in a perfect world you have a super game boy 2 and a super nintendo you have to modify it by removing those tabs because it is a japanese cartridge slot um but uh that's no problem you just remove the tabs um and then it does play more accurate. There are also more filters, Jam. Mm. Uh, I thought that was cool. And there's a filter I think that's not in the Super Game Boy, which is a filter that just uh, removes all of the borders. Mm. Pretty cool. So you can basically just make a... uh, Yeah. Um, But it is one-to-one resolution scaling and everything. Pretty impressive piece of tech. Uh, What would a Super Game Boy run you right now? American? Like, I don't know what the Japanese prices are, but you're buying them mostly from Japan and you're getting them shipped to you from Japan. Uh, you can find a couple of people who own and ship them from America, who sounds like they just go to Japan, buy a bunch of them, and then bring them back to our country. You're probably going to spend between 30 and 50 bucks from Japan and wait about a week to three weeks for it to be shipped or pay a pretty decent amount of money to ship it with tracking. 
in America, you're probably paying a larger premium of somewhere between 40 to 60, possibly even 70, 75 if you want it shipped from America where you get it in like three days and it's tracked and everything it stays in your country. I'm guessing something similar happens in Europe as well, where somebody's imported it from Japan to Europe. And so if you want it to be you know, all same team, same country, um, you pay a premium price for it. Mm, mm. Um, of course, you guys have an additional problem which is probably why it's not popular, Jam, which is PAL. Yep. <laughs> you guys are running 50 hertz at a different resolution. So actually, Super Game Boy 2 is not much of an option for you guys. It's probably also why you don't notice any frame pacing issues, because you're not trying to hit a 60 frames per second goal. Uh, yeah, You guys are so used to seeing things that have just been modified <laughs> and slowed down. Yep. <laughs> Europe moves vision. slower than America. No. Um, but yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about the Super Game Boy? It's a cool little thing. Um, yeah, I'd say it's, it's, it's fun. It's obviously, I think, just like it's. It, it, I think it's, it's only really needed for massive fans of, of, I guess, massive enthusiasts now because of obviously other, other emulation issues. I prefer to play Game Boy games on a big screen these days. Mm. Um, I have a Game Boy, like a legit old school Game Boy, and then I have a Game Boy Advance SP, which will play Game Boy games. Um, and I do have a EverDrive Game Boy cart because you're crazy if you think I'm going to start trying to amass a Game Boy cart collection. Um, but uh, but again, whenever possible, I try to do the responsible thing in my view. We're, we're not going to harp on piracy here. We're just going to talk about whatever your moral high ground is. Um, for me, if it's available digitally on a platform, I pick my platform of choice, whether it be Wii U, 3DS, things like that. And just buy it and just put my mind to ease, you know. Um, but uh, that is that is an option. Uh, so I prefer playing on Super Game Boy. If I were to play Link's Awakening, I would probably play Super Game Boy, the old school one, unless you see a big reason to do the DX one. And then in that case, I would play it on my Game Boy Advance player. Um, so, which works well too. Um, I actually have a, uh, a, a cord that, allows me to plug Super Nintendo controllers into my GameCube. So nice. um, I'm playing with a Super Nintendo controller whenever I play Game Boy Advance games, so that's kind of cool, or Game Boy Color games. But anyway, I digress. So I think we should address one big one that we've danced around. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about competition. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, what, a year after the Game Boy comes out that eh, maybe it was a couple years. I think it was 92, here comes Sega yep. with the Game Gear. And just to identify the three right right off the bat so we can just involve it in the conversation. Yeah, Sega with the Game Gear. Right around that same time, I think it was 91, and I don't even know if there was a European version. Atari releases the Lynx. Yep. <laughs> we had the Lynx. Yeah. Okay. We had that. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and last but not least, uh, NEC, this one, I know you didn't get NEC would release the turbo express, which was literally a turbo graphic 16 or PC engine that had a LCD screen, but it just played PC engine games. I mean, it was, it, it was the switch way before the switch. Um, you just plugged in PC engine carts. Um, significant about all of these, including the Game Boy, was they were region-free by design um, because there was no broadcast standard. Mm. Right? The Game Boy's region-free, isn't it? I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. I've got, I've got like, uh, American carts that I can play on it. So. Yeah, so um, 
So it had competition uh, right off the bat. And then there is a later competition. Uh, I'm just going to address them so that we remember to get to them, which was in Japan, the Wonder Swan. Gunpei Yokoi would actually join Bandai and make the Wonder Swan. And then back here in the West, uh, late 90s, you would have the Neo Geo Pocket. And these were just companies going, okay, the Game Boy's not going anywhere. We need to compete. And it was funny because both the Wonder Swan and the Neo Geo Pocket would come out a year before Nintendo would finally relent and make a Game Boy Color. (laughs) And that's why there is... To no surprise, then they had the Wonder Swan Crystal, which had color, and they also, I think it was colored. I thought the Wonder Swan was colored. Maybe it never was. Um, and then um, the Neo Geo Pocket Color, of course. So, but let's talk about right after it came out. So, um, every one of these portable consoles, the Lynx, the Game Gear, and uh, the Turbo Express, they were all colored screens, right? Bright, beautiful LCD colored mm-hmm. screens. Um, Color graphics. They, yeah, yeah. They had all the big games on them. <laughs> well, <laughs> as much as Atari could. California Games was there. Epics was like, "Yo, we got good shit." <laughs> the a, arcade faithful port of Ninja Gaiden was there, where it's like the Ninja Brawler with the big spinning buzz saw. Um, and Turbo Express. Well, there was Bonk and Splatterhouse. Um, but uh, Game Gear was probably the closest one to try to give Game Boy a run for its money for quite some time. Hey, that's still struggle. Um, <laughs> and I should point out all these colored consoles basically ran on six AA batteries yep. for like two to four hours. Yeah. Um, very expensive. Rechargeable battery packs were almost essential for any Game Gear owner I knew about. And I would assume the Lynx and Express if they had them, and I bet they did have them, same thing. Um Batteries just weren't a viable option most of the time. Uh, did you? What was your take? Did you know Lynx died fast? Turbo Express never even caught on. Really, some people had them. I saw them around my town, but the Game Gear was the only one you saw a little bit. Right? You saw it in popular culture. It was in a couple of games, Three Ninja, or it was in a couple of movies, Three Ninjas, Airheads. Those are popular places to see the Game Gear. Um, but uh, but also, I knew people who had them. Mm. Uh, we they were one. cool. Yeah. You had one in your house? Yeah, we had the Game Gear. Okay. Absolutely. They were cool. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but ultimately they did fail. But the Game Gear had a lasting life. Even in America, it was like a, a second lease on life for a lot of Master System games. Um, as, as you probably are aware, lots of Master System games you got in Europe uh, never came out and just appeared only on the Game Gear. Whereas I think most of the time you guys got both versions, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, it tends to be like if there was if it was a Master System version, there was a Game Gear version as well at the same time. Cool. But no, I, um, I, I, I dug Game Gear. It was um, yeah, there was there was it had some decent games. Um, in fact, if anything, when I was younger, I think so. I I preferred the Game Gear to the Game Boy for a period <laughs> until sort of you discovered. I guess because yeah, when you're a kid, you don't care. Well, first of all, the backlight did work, so you could play it in the yeah. dark. Yeah, that was one thing. That was huge. When your parents went to bed. <laughs> you can keep playing <laughs> you could plug your game gear well because even then i knew the genesis trick so your parents would go to bed i would borrow my friend's game gear chris he lived across uh i had moved out of the apartment or the condo complex that i was in i'd moved into a neighborhood and chris was across the way and he had a game gear and i remember borrowing his game gear until i eventually did um buy one secondhand in like the mid 90s but um 
but yeah, uh, the, the whole idea was your parents would go to bed. You would unplug your Genesis uh, power cord from the back of your Genesis 2, plug in your game gear, get under the covers, and you could play all night long. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and this won't be a Game Gear episode, but yeah, I mean, it was, it ran games a little better than the Game Boy. The graphics were definitely better. They were in color. The backlight was better. Um, and, uh, the, the ports were better. Again, Mortal Kombat. I love the Mortal Kombat Game Gear port. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why, <laughs> but I do. I love it. It had blood. Uh, that's, that's probably, that's probably what it was. <laughs> yeah. Just that's probably why I cared. But and recently, you know, for a live stream, I played a lot of the Sonic games. Those were really cool. Sonic Chaos is is a very yeah, great game. Decent. Um, Aerial Assault still one of my favorite uh, shooters uh, on portables. Mm-hmm. So Aerial Assault significantly better than Nemesis on the Game Boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but it it ultimately Game Gear just did not compete. Not- Game Gear had a couple of good years, probably 90, what would you say, like 93 to 95 were haven years for the Game Gear, and then it kind of fizzled out. Um, Do you think there's a reason, do you you have any feeling as to why? I think, I know from the the time, I know the battery issue was a big annoyance for parents (laughs) where we were. It was also expensive. These, I should point out, the uh, Game Gear, I think, was like 200. The Lynx was like 200. And the Turbo Express was 300 So, like, these were expensive portables. I do think price point is a huge part of it. Mm. Um, I also personally feel that Sega kind of abandoned it. And when you read, yeah, like, yeah. Console Wars and stuff like that, you that was the ushering out of the Tom Kalinske era, the huge fights with Japan and America, Sega of America and Sega of Japan, lots of infighting, the terrible state of Sonic, and, of course, the the split of the people who thought that you should stick to cartridges with the 32X and then the people who thought you should go CD with the Saturn. For the record, America tended to side with the Saturn, with CD media. Um, But there's a lot going on. So I feel like it was a combination of cost and Sega stopped supporting that console. Mm -hmm. But either way, Game Gear was... You know, they they weren't as prevalent, but they were definitely cool. I don't remember anyone going like, oh, you have a Game Gear? <laughs> no. Right? Like, it was, we're not quite at that stage. There was, yet, always, yeah. there was always a ring of jealousy um, when you saw someone with a Game Gear, right? Like, you were jealous you didn't have one. Um, I, don't, I, I didn't so. often, um, when we had one, we often didn't use it on the go. We was connected to, like you said, that, um, that, that power outlet for the Mega Drive. <laughs> Yeah, well, and like I said, the uh, the other interesting thing about the Game Gear was whereas a lot of things were, like you said, ported to the Game Boy, mm. a lot of things were ported to the Game Gear also, yep. but with better results. Like, I remember Lion King, or it was I think it was Aladdin got ported to the Game Boy, and I didn't like Aladdin on the Game Boy, but Aladdin on the Game Gear was all right. It was all right. Um, the, the, the other weird one was the Game Boy the Game Gear ports of the Star Wars trilogy. Do you remember that super Return of the Jedi oh, yeah. and <laughs> came to Game Gear? <laughs> the first one wasn't it's too weird. bad, actually. I thought I was, I was, no, no, it was it was all right. Um, Game Gear is still a fascinating uh, thing. I have two Game Gears right now, mm-hmm. and they both work. Oh, nice. And I'm tempted to buy the Game Gear EverDrive. But since I've got a uh, flash cart for the Sega Master System, a majority of those Game Gear games are on Master System. Mm. So, but anyway, 
I just remember Game Gear being part of the discussion, but it just never had the mass appeal. And then later on, the Wonder Swan, uh, we never got it in our country, so there's... Nah, I don't remember that. You know, very little to talk about. I think one of the biggest points there was Final Fantasy 1 and 2 reported there. Oh, man. Okay. I need to go back to the Game Boy for one second. Mm -hmm. This won't be too long. (laughs) But Final Fantasy. Oh, yep. (laughs) RPGs on the Game Boy. That was a thing. Um, and they were unique RPGs. And one of those was, of course, the the curse between the Final Fantasy Adventure and the Final Fantasy Legend. There was the final... I think it's Final Fantasy Adventure was Seiken Densetsu, uh, Secret of Mana 1, mm. which is now known as Sword of Mana. Um, that was the green cart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot, I forgot about the different it, colors. It was, yeah, they just different yeah colors. because the the legend, I think, was the, the purple carts, yeah. um, and there were three of them. Um, so in Japan, this is all figured out, but in the West, we, don't, we didn't know it too well. So uh, that one was an action RPG. Think of uh, Zelda-esque. And I really enjoyed it, although I think a lot of people don't like Sword of Mana. But I played through that... Probably five, ten years ago. Well, it, no, it was like within the last five years because I wrote it up on Gaming History 101. Like, there's a write-up on it. But I really enjoyed that mm. game. That was a really good game. There is a sort of mana, I think it's a GBA remake. That's right, Which people yeah. say is even stronger. Um, and I think it's even been remade again, like on Vita or something. I don't oh, know. Oh, no, that's but... a sequel, that one. That's like a... <laughs> oh, okay, okay. It's a sequel to Sword? Weird. I think so, yeah. So they did like another okay. mana game for the Vita. It was also... Mo- it started on mobile, but then it was ported to the Vita. <laughs> Gotcha. Um, like uh, like um, Link's Awakening, uh, surprisingly long, like twelve hours, and it was a good, it was a good solid RPG to me, action RPG. Mm. Um, the Final Fantasy Legend games, there's three of them. Those are actually the first three Saga games, and Saga is a weird game because it had like weapon degradation and. Um, weird ways of competing against people and ways to break the game and whatnot. You should know that before he started making the Saga franchises, I forget his name right now, but this isn't an episode about Saga. Um, He made Final Fantasy Mm 2. Final Fantasy 2 that only released in Japan, where you would cast spells on your teammates to level up and stuff like that, and you would hit your teammates to level up your weapon. And the same thing, all those weird things where the more you used weapons and spells, the more you would level them up and stuff like that, all all was in Saga. And so I remember those not being as popular, and there was a huge trend going around that said, okay, buy the Final Fantasy Adventure, don't buy Legend, you know, and a lot of people didn't like Saga. And then now in hindsight, people go back and say, no, Legend games are great. I don't know. I didn't play them. (laughs) <laughs> but I do remember those things. Uh, the Wonder Swan was a lot of ports. I remember that. But Klonoa's sequel is on the Wonder Swan. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And there was always some cool stuff on the Wonder Swan, but because it was Japan only, and it was mostly RPGs, are the standouts in there, and they're in Japan or they're in Japan, <laughs> they're in Japanese. You know, I just never really got to the Wonder Swan. I know Trees has one. Um, they're not expensive. Mm. 40, 50 bucks, you can get yourself like one complete in box with some games. It just wasn't popular, that popular. And then, of course, there was Neo Geo Pocket. I had that with a huge collection. I had about 20 games on it. Nice. Um, It was cool. If you wanted portable fighting games, Neo Geo Pockets got you covered. Yeah, there was Metal Slug and stuff like that, but it really is that Neo Geo ecosystem, right? Like it was Neo Geo games in a really solid port of Sonic 2. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, but anyway, nothing really could compete with the Game Boy. No, that's the only what, thing that beat the Game Boy was the Game Boy that Color. Still was, yeah. It still reigns supreme. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, Nintendo decided to make the Game Boy Color, and that was the only thing that ever really competed with the Game Boy. Nine years, a hell of a life cycle for a console. Mm-hmm. So it really is something special, and nearly 1,100 games. So Jeremy Parrish has his his homework cut out for him. <laughs> <laughs> so, but good to him. At least somebody's preserving those games, um, which are probably widely more popular than, say, a Cron CD thing. Plus, he's releasing those in a good clip, and I'm not. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Um, we didn't get to color, but anything else you want to say about the Game Boy? Anything? Well, I get. I mean, you adored the Game Boy. I, yeah, I did. I, I, I loved the Game Boy. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, yeah, no, I. Yeah, it's 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 so simple. Yeah, I just think uh, it's it was very much that pick up and play fun system, really. Where you know, I, I, I like the kind of the design of a lot of the, the games that were designed for it. I should say it felt they felt just right, really, uh, with that portable in mind. Um, and it's also just fun because the Game Boy was, as with a lot of popular systems, was home to a ton of garbage, which I was kind of totally into as well. <laughs> but, um, oh yeah, tons of hot trash. Uh, there's right there's there's just innovations uh, abound. Mm with some of the games that are on Game Boy that, like you said, were designed around the platform, and then the ones that just didn't stick the landing. Yep. Most um, of those were... I course. have heard Perfect Dark is quite trashy on the Game Boy. Well, that was quite funny, because that's I think that's a Game Boy Color game. Of, yeah, I've got, I've got that here. So oh, that's the Game mistake. Boy. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, because it's... It might, but might as well just briefly mention it, because that, Fred, it has a... It's that, like a bit like that Pokemon Pinball game. You've got a little battery slot on the front of the cart to put, like, a AAA nice. battery into it. So it... Nice. rumble for you <laughs> oh it had rumble yeah. oh, okay that's definitely what a game boy needs shake something yeah. that's in your hand and then obviously this is one of the very few games that is it bad no it's not as bad as people okay. think. it's 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 okay. it's interesting i call it it's a top-down sure. kind of shoot game but the the thing okay. that the reason people like perfect dark on the game but at least why, why people go for it is it it featured that very rare transferability with the n64 transfer pack to the to the n64 game aha yeah so I have a transfer pack just because they're like three bucks. Yeah, Nobody knows what to do with exactly, them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's not relevant, but what people used to do back in the day is that it was an easy way to get the cheats quicker in the N64 game. So if you finish like the Ooh. Game Boy game, you could hook it to the N64 game and it would unlock cheats faster. And if you played the N64 game, if you looked in the small writing in the game, it would tell you also, can, like if you looked at the cheat section, it would say you can also unlock by playing the Game Boy Color game. So <laughs> like a little small little promo there. Run out and get it, kids. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so. so oh yeah i think that was the other appeal with game boy games but this was true of all portable games was the average price of a uh, cartridge based game was usually 50 to 60 bucks i would say 50 bucks more often than not sometimes 40 sometimes 60 mm-hmm. but usually 50 bucks the average price of a game boy game was 30 bucks um so that helped too. yeah oh yeah yeah they're, they're, they're definitely more reasonable than <laughs> your console your mega drive games <laughs> yeah Right, it was easier to ask for them and, and get them and stuff like that. So, all right, well, I think that uh, I think that successfully closes the book on Game Boy. Um, if you want to give some uh, comments or Game Boy talks and stuff like that, sorry, I read it on uh, GHX because I had waited so long. But we had a great Andrew wrote in with a great response uh, to what killed the Vita and and shock of the week. He says basically it was um, the support. 
um, oh, yeah. to the Vita. But uh, but yeah, we will. We promise to keep them topical and, and read uh, the comments on those uh, on the uh, on the. Uh, the, the gaming history 101 topics on a gaming history 101 episode but if you want to write in any anecdotes about the game boy any favorite games any things we missed any things we touched on that you really liked feel free to uh, contact the gaming history 101.com where you can also ask questions and make uh, show suggestions mm-hmm. um, please keep in mind since we are very topical uh, we might have to be selective but assuming that uh, there's not too much write-ins and I'll be honest with you, we usually only get one to three write-ins on a topic. Love to have more, but you know, not pushing for it. Um, we can probably knock them out, but uh, but yeah, just something to think about. Um, so with that, I think we should uh, prep for the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jam, why don't you let us know what uh, what our next episode is going to be? This is where I wish we could do like a little side soundbite where we could feature the uh, the uh, the techno music because uh, we're going to start gonna off uh, Mortal Kombat. Um, Mortal Kombat. Exactly. We're not sure what will happen. We're thinking behind the scenes. We're thinking it'll probably be just the first sort of you know up to three or whatever it was. You know, we were saying. Three plus, uh, yeah, I said probably one, two, and three plus home because we got to talk about home conversions, yeah. clones, the ESRB violence, and then if we can, maybe we'll get really lucky and we can knock out four because four doesn't. I just don't think there's a lot of discussion to be had about four. Mm. Sorry, maybe I'm wrong, and you are welcome to write in so we can prepare that, and I'll try to weave those comments and thoughts and questions into the show if you want to do it. Um, but we'll start there. And then, right, am I correct? We'll play it by yeah, ear and yeah. see if we want to keep going. What I had envisioned with Jam in the pre-show was if people are down, if people are really eager and really enjoying that, and you can start writing in now if you are, I we can pretty much split into three shows. You do one on the main trilogy. You do um, a second one on the spinoffs, which is um, Mythology Sub-Zero, Special Forces, and Sh- uh, Shaolin Monks. Uh, that one might even be an extra credit jam that you and I can knock out on a GHX week or something um, if there's not much discussion. Having not played Mythologies or Special so Forces yet, <laughs> I don't know how much or little we can talk. Do you think you can get two hours out of just oh, those three games? Well, not not Shaolin Monks, I think, needs a bit of a section, I think, because that's quite a big one. But uh, Mythologies, I okay. could probably crack. That's an easy one to crank out because it's just, it's freaking garbage, but it's so funny. <laughs> it's so terrible. Okay. And maybe Jam and I will even do, you know, like piecemeal yeah, stuff, yeah. right? Where we'll just, uh, we'll just do our own solo shows where we talk about one or the other. We, we talked about that. So we'll see what we do with that. We're going to play that by ear. You're welcome to chime in and just let me know via Twitter on our discord or to the email, of course. Um, and then of course you go into the PS2 trilogy. Um, so we've got to talk about those. Uh, I don't think we're going to do the newer ones. We kind of talked about that and, uh, uh, DC universe and, and it's event uh, DC versus mortal Kombat and it's eventual migration to infamous, um, or no, infamous, <laughs> injustice. <laughs> uh, right. 
again, sits in perpetuity as well. It could either tether on to the back end of a uh, an episode, or it could be an extra credit. But we're going to get a little Mortal Kombat heavy, so you guys tell us. Do you want to knock it out in just, like, probably two back-to-back episodes with some extra f- episodes, or do you want us to drag it out and wait and give some time and yeah, whatnot? Uh, nice. We <laughs> shall see. The other thing I'm looking at is, as the schedule goes, the... They will. We will have the Mortal Kombat episode. The episode that will follow, regardless of its topic, will be on June twelfth, uh, releasing on Wednesday, June twelfth, which is amidst E three. Mm. So I just want people to know: yes, we are doing E three coverage again. So the feed's going to get flooded with a lot of E three stuff. We'll have a pre E three GHX, and then some E three stuff. Uh, I will be doing with uh, our usual guest panels. I think it's going to be Andy, Ryan, me, and possibly one other uh, this year. Um, doing uh, all of them. Uh, all of us, I think, will be on all of them. I haven't gotten confirmation from Ryan yet, but uh, definitely me and Andy are on for that. Taking the day off work and stuff like that. Uh, taking the days off work, but those will all be knocked out. But a lot of people are frustrated that we talk about all E3 and even Gaming History 101 was flooded with E3 in the past. That will not be the case. We're going to do a full-blown retro episode pre-recorded and it will premiere on the 12th, completely removed of and completely not cognizant of uh, E3, which uh, I think is mostly good news for people uh, as you're getting over your E3 hangover, why not learn a little history about something that has nothing to do with Indeed. that? So. That's how that's going to go. So, anyway. All right. We need to touch on anything else, or are we good to go? No, I think that's something. That's everything. Yeah. Uh, raid raid your charity stores time. and your car boots for a Game Boy. Do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go get you a Game Boy, kids. In the interim, uh, just remember to always play it loud. All right. Peace out.